get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. This is the Character and Smallman Podcast, powered by I Promise. Now here's Character and Smallman. And welcome to Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. It is 701. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler, Randy Carriker. And good morning, Michelle Smallman. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Randy. Good morning to you. Hey, a, a great morning in St. Louis. The Cardinals had the day off. They'll open a series in Milwaukee tonight. And your St. Louis Blues breaking overnight with an overtime win over the L.A. Kings. Which was huge. Quickly about the Cardinals. Do you think after their 17-game stretch that on their day off, they just wanted to be in a cave, relax, no one talk to me, no one bother me, just let me recharge a little bit? I think they wanted to play. You think they wanted to play they, golf, maybe? Well, no, you got 13-4. and four. You just want to keep playing. But at some Keep point, you want to rest. Yeah, you do have you a wanna, day off. You want to take a breather. I would think that yesterday they probably just hung out around the house. Yeah, very low-key. set up, yeah. And still, you know, here we are a month into the season. There's probably, especially for the new guys, still some setting up to do. But yesterday wasn't a great day to go outside. So they probably just hung out and laid around, petted, petted the dogs. Maybe some Netflix action. Yeah, there you go. And then got on a plane and went to Milwaukee. There you go. The Blues last night, Michelle, in L.A. Did you stay up for the end of it? Not till the end. I, I made it to the third period, and then it was one of those things yeah. where you're dozing in and out, and I you'd wake up and be like, what's going on? What did I miss? Yep, same thing. Here's what you missed. Blues are able to get it back as Falk gets to it. Now a pass intended for Falk. Picked up Perron. Gets it in. Perron goes to Falk. Falk shoots. He scores! Justin Falk, the game winner, 46 seconds into overtime. You can bring out the Zamboni in the road season for the Blues. Ends with a win. Two to one the final as Justin Falk buries it for the Blues. And, oh, by the way, who got the number one assist? The top assist on that goal? David Perron. I mean, our guy, Mr. David Overtime. Perron, Mr. Overtime, of course, naturally. Yeah, he'll be with us tomorrow morning here on 101 ESPN. So the Blues win it by a score of 2-1. to one. The Blues had already kind of locked them, not kind of, they had locked themselves in to the fourth seed in the Honda West. L.A. was out of the playoffs. Craig Berube, what'd you think? Well, I mean, it's just there was not a lot of emotion in the game or, you know, it's, it is what it is, like. It's fine, though. Like, I mean, it is what it is. It's, you know, it's a kind of a meaningless game. No emotion. I thought we had a good first period, though. We moved the puck really well. We didn't get enough shots on net. I didn't think we shot the puck enough all game. Yeah, it's great for the Blues to get the win, but I'm with Chief there. There's nothing really to play for. The only thing you're playing for at this point is that no one gets hurt. Right. It is what it is. He's exactly right. And he doesn't want anybody to get hurt, so you just kind of go through the motions, hope that you don't get hurt, try to avoid injury. And when you can win the game in overtime, all the better. But the Blues remain in fourth place and will most likely start the playoffs, I would think, next Sunday or Monday. I would hope Monday. I'm hoping Monday, too. Fingers crossed that it's Monday. But... Another good thing about last night, especially a game that everyone's kind of easing into, is to get Tory Krug back in the mix. Yeah. And hopefully he'll be ready to rock and roll for playoff time. He'll be back in hockey shape. The Blues do have two games left at home against the Minnesota Wild tomorrow night. We'll have the pregame show at 7, the puck drop at 8 with Curbs and Joey here on 101 ESPN. As we mentioned, the Cardinals back in action tonight. 
First pitch, 640 on Bally Sports Midwest. KK goes against Freddie Peralta and the Cardinals, Michelle, with a great opportunity this week to extend their lead over Milwaukee in the National League Central. Do you think they will? I do. Uh, when we talked to Greg Amzinger about opening up this, the standings in the in the Central, uh, and I asked him if by the end of May he thought they might have a, a three-game lead or so. I I do think they have a chance to really open things up and not put things away. You can never put things away in May, but I think they have a chance to have a pretty substantial lead by Memorial Day. I agree, and the Brewers are an interesting team. They. I think everyone pretty much agreed would be the biggest threat to the Cardinals and the division. The stuff with Yelich is so interesting. He's only played 10 games. He's got a bad back. They really haven't found a way to make him feel better. And we've seen bad backs with hitters in baseball before. Sometimes they're just not curable. No, and it's something that even when you think it's better can be easily re-aggravated. And how much of a threat will the Brewers be, especially as you get down the stretch if you don't have Christian Yelich. And here's the thing. The Cardinals, and we, we've we talked a lot about the Cardinals' feast or famine offense until the last couple of weeks. Right now, the Cardinals are eighth in baseball with 161 run, runs scored. You have to go all the way down to 26th to find the Brewers. Of the 30 teams, Milwaukee is 26th. They've only scored 134 runs. And without Yelich, Michelle, I don't see that getting better for them. They really don't have a hitter where you say, oh, he'll pick up the slack. They don't have that guy. I read a lot about the Brewers last night. They're relying a lot on Colton Wong. They are. You know, he's been strong for them. But as people in St. Louis who have seen Colton Wong a lot, we love Colton Wong. We Mm -hmm. know what he's going to give you from a defensive standpoint. And he can certainly provide pop for you at times offensively. But I don't think you would feel comfortable as a fan knowing that a lot of your offensive production, you're relying on Colton Wong to be the guy in the absence of Christian uh, Yelich. Offensively, that's a problem. Yes. As the Brewers deal without Christian Yelich, the Mets will deal without Jacob deGrom headed to the IL with tightness in his right side. He won't return until May 20th at the earliest. An MRI on Sunday was clean of any issues, they say, but the Mets are a different team without Jacob deGrom. Now, it's not like they win a lot without Jacob deGrom, but he does help their bullpen a lot. Do you think this is a play by him? I'm experiencing tightness. You guys can see what life is like without me. Maybe give me some run support when I come back yeah, come type on, deal. Guys. Come on, guys. No, in all seriousness, as as a fan of baseball, Jacob deGrom is electric, and you don't want to see him injured. Baseball is better when he's out there. Absolutely. Horse racing news, Michelle. Kentucky Derby Ooh. winner Medina Spirit has headed to Baltimore without trainer Bob Baffert, who has been suspended. So we're going to see perhaps Medina Spirit in the Preakness Stakes, but maybe not. Maybe little old old Medina Spirit will be suspended. I don't know. So Medina Spirit gets to go there and potentially participate even after testing positive for betamethasone. Yeah. And by the way, Medina Spirit has issued a statement, an apology. Wow. Uh, quote, I apologize to my family, my teammates, the Zedon Racing Stables organization, and the fans. A few months ago, I unknowingly used a product that was contaminated with a bad substance by the Kentucky Horse Racing Commission. I recognize that it is my job to know and be responsible for everything I put in my body. I will likely be suspended ending my season. I will take the necessary steps in the future to prevent this from ever happening again. I look forward to rejoining all my stallmates next season (laughs) in our goal to bring a championship to Lexington. And then 
Just walked away. After just this. walked away from the podium like that, huh? Yeah. Kind of a mic drop moment. Wow. Yelling at reporters on the way out. Yeah, Medina, Medina Spirit. Yeah, kind of defiant. I understand. I understand. Um, because she's... <laughs> Medina Spirit trusts Bob Baffert. Big but, time. Trust Bob Baffert. Um, <laughs> I will say this. I appreciate that Medina Spirit apologized to the stallmates involved yeah. because a lot of people don't realize how affected you are if you're sharing a stall with someone that tests positive. Oh, there's no doubt. Tempting the other horses? Yep. It's unfair. devastating. And, well, it's the unfair advantage, Michelle. That's right. It's You're in a stall next to somebody and one horse sees, just looks to its right and sees another horse shooting up says, well, if that horse is doing, what am I supposed to right. do? I'm really surprised that at the Zeden Racing Stables that we haven't had more issues, that it's at the moment only Medina Spirit. That's, though, that tells you a lot, Randy, about how tight-knit they were installed because mm-hmm. they did not let this information leak. Or maybe they did and we don't know. Maybe they were the ones that oh, tipped that, someone off. That could be. Check out Medina Spirit. Yeah. So we'll see what's going on with the Preakness. And Bob Baffert will not be able to participate. A couple of football notes for you. Michelle, are you fired up about Tim Tebow being back in the NFL? Can't wait, Randy. I was hoping that this would happen all along. I was thinking, you know for what? For eight years? Uh, for so long. I was thinking the Cardinals have been rolling. The Blues are in the playoffs again. You know what my life is missing? A little Tim Tebow action. I'm sick of of this baseball (laughs) show. I'm ready for Tim Tebow to get back into the NFL. How ridiculous is this? And listen, we know Tim Tebow is a great athlete. He is a great athlete. But it's just kind of amazing that because of who he is, he could try his hand at baseball for so long where most guys would never get half of the runway that he did. And then after being out of the NFL for this long that he could just pick up the phone, call Urban Meyer and boom, he has a contract. He's 33 years old. Most NFL players are retired by the age of 33. He's never played tight end in his life, high school, college, anywhere. And because he's apparently a good guy and obviously was a dominant player at quarterback for Urban Meyer at Florida, he gets an opportunity. I, I'm not going to get too worked up about it. I don't think that it's... Look, there's not a, a Tony Gonzalez or Antonio Gates at this stage that he's taking a job away from, but it does say a lot about the NFL and about the state of the NFL that among the 90 players that a team signs is a guy who hasn't played in eight years and is 33 years old. But would anyone have done this other than Urban Meyer? No, no. So I think it says more about Urban Meyer than it does the NFL. Yeah, and by the way, if the guy winds up being good, then kudos to Urban Meyer for recognizing that talent and that dominance. If this guy winds up being good, I think he needs to take a long, hard look in the mirror and wonder why his ego stopped him Mm -hmm. from changing positions prior. Because so many coaching staff said, you should try to be a tight end. And he said, I want to be the quarterback. I want to be QB1, even though it was pretty clear at a certain point in his career that he was not going to have success doing that. So if he does, in fact, have success as a tight end, I wonder what his career could have looked like. We don't know what the media situation is going to be come July for training camp, but could this be a move by Urban Meyer just to shield Trevor Lawrence from some of the media spotlight? Because it's all going to be on Tebow. That could be. Um, And reading a lot last night, I think Urban Meyer wants Trevor Lawrence to learn from Tim Tebow. Mm-hmm. I think he obviously has a great amount of respect for him as a person and as a leader and thinks that Trevor Lawrence could find a connection there and could find a mentor there in a lot of ways. Um, 
because Tim Tebow certainly knows what media pressure is yeah. like. I mean, say what you want about his NFL career. Anywhere he went, it was a circus. So he can certainly lend some insight to Trevor Lawrence on how to deal with all of that. But I still think the story there is Trevor Lawrence. Yeah. I, I think this Tim Tebow thing will be exciting for a while. Of course, when the media has access to him, they're going to talk to him. But Trevor Lawrence is supposed to be the next coming. We haven't talked about a prospect in this way since Andrew Luck. I don't even think Tim Tebow can distract from Trevor Lawrence. The all-timer, and there are a lot of timers for Tim Tebow, but the all-timer was when he signed with the Jets. He wasn't signing in Jacksonville. He wasn't signing in St. Louis. He wasn't signing in Minneapolis. He was signing in New York. And the Jets sent him out for his introductory press conference with no introduction, no PR people, no staff, no general manager, no coach. They just had Tim Tebow walk to the podium and do a press conference in New York. Unbelievable. Yeah. So he can handle the media. Yes, he can. You can say, I'm excited. (laughs) Yeah. All right. I'm excited. I bet he is excited. I'm I just think it's very interesting that after how many players who had the career that Tim Tebow did and refused to change positions would all these years later get this opportunity? None. Zero. Zero. Yeah, this is the guy. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up, we've got a game of what's better. Get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Your what's better questions for us next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Invite your text to the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Michelle, Randy, and Emily, and a game of what's better here on 101 ESPN. Emily, what do you have for us? Actually, I'm going to start off with one that my dad gave me okay. over the weekend. We like this. So this is kind of more what would be better because these both kind of stink. Getting punched in the face one time by Mike Tyson in his prime or having Mike Tyson's voice the rest of your life. I think having Mike Tyson's voice the rest of your life. I, you might not be around if you get punched one time in the face by Mike Tyson in his prime. Yeah, I think the key word here is life. I would rather have that voice and live than potentially let him punch me once in the face and die. And think of how many people imitate him. Yeah. It's not that bad. He's impetuous. That was the general consensus at Mother's Day brunch. <laughs> yeah. From the 314, what's better? The feeling after a great night's sleep or a great workout? Oh, a great night's sleep, because it's so rare for me. And I'm never the person that right after I work out, I feel great. Usually I want to lay down for a while. <laughs> or maybe get a snack. I uh, I think I'm going to go with the workout. Uh, I am... I, I think I'm like you. I don't really get the best sleep, so I really don't know. But I think after a workout... Uh, especially because I haven't had the opportunity to get, to get into the gym a lot over the last year. Yeah. Uh, for me, I think right now it would be a workout. But have you ever slept in on vacation or slept in on a weekend when you slept past what our alarm oh, yeah. would be and you wake up at 8.30 or something and you just stretch it out and you feel wow. so great? Yeah, that was great. Yeah, That's definitely. a really good feeling. From the 314, what's better? Burgers off of the electric, gas, or charcoal grill? Randy, I'll let you take this one. Yeah, it's, a burger is a burger to me. Yeah, the charcoal grill, unless you put on the gas grill, unless you put some wood on there and you're able to use either wood chips or wood pellets. But of those three, 
because of the smoky flavor added by a charcoal grill, I'll go charcoal grill. Okay. And by the way, that does smell great when you put a burger, burger on a charcoal grill. From the 314, what's better, a walk-off hit to win the baseball game or an OT goal to win the hockey game? Oh, both are great. There's something about a walk-off, though. There's something about a walk-off, so I think I'm going to go mm-hmm. with that. I think there's greater anticipation because if you have a walk-off hit, generally you have a runner in scoring position. Mm-hmm. So there's greater anticipation leading up to the walk-off hit. But I, I, I like the way that an overtime goal takes your breath away. So yes. I'm going to go with that. And with overtime, you're watching the clock count down, right. too. So that adds in another layer of suspense. From the 314, what's better, Wilt Chamberlain and Bill Russell or the two best big men in today's NBA? All due respect to today's big men. You got to go with Chamberlain and Russell. And let's just assume that we're going to go with Embiid and Jokic as as the two best big men. There's no comparison between Russell and Chamberlain and those two. Even if you go Embiid and AD, if we want to put AD in that mix, he's a great big man. Yeah. But still, you take Chamberlain and Russell every time. You're going to take Chamberlain and Russell yeah. every time. Yeah. Every time. From the 618, what's better? Getting in the octagon with an MMA fighter for one minute or taking a 95-mile-per-hour fastball to the back? Hmm. Oh, okay, it's to the back. I would rather have, I think, the immediacy, Michelle, of taking the 95-mile-an-hour fastball to the back. It'll bother you for a while, but... A minute with an MMA fighter. You can turtle in there. I would just run in circles for one minute. Yeah, the, I, I would sprint. I would give everything I had for one minute. And I don't, I don't that, want to run for a minute. I just want to. I'll, if I can just stand there and take the 95 off the back, I'll do that. But that's guaranteed pain. At least if I'm in the octagon for a minute, maybe they can't get a hold of me for one maybe. minute. Maybe. Right. But what if they do? If they get a hold of me, I'm just going to scream at the top of my lungs, scream in, <laughs> scream in her face, <laughs> and then I'll be I'll be screaming as the clock counts down. You can. I, I think turtling would be effective. Maybe run for 30 seconds and then turtle for the remaining 30 seconds, and they'll just punch you in the back of the head and stuff with their gloves. Yeah, they're lifting weights. They're not running. Yeah. That would be my training, just sprinting. They can kick you in the... Can they kick you in the stomach? I think they can do whatever they want. Okay. I think I'll take the 95 <laughs> off the back then. But with the 95, you know what's coming. And I right. think the mental the mental gymnastics leading up to it about what's this going to feel like. Oh, it's coming. It's coming. But that, at least you know it's in the back. That's true. Right. And I guess if someone gets a hold of you in the octagon, yeah. it could be in the face. Right. You'll be bruised for a couple of days. And then you do have a good story. Yeah. I took 95 to the back. Right. Where I guess the other story is... I, I tried to escape danger for one minute. <laughs> and I turtled. <laughs> <laughs> I screamed in someone's face. From the 314, what's better, driving to school or taking the bus? Driving to school. Yeah, Definitely. my experience was totally take uh, driving to school. I never once took the bus, so I can't really speak to it. But when my friends would come to pick me up from school, you're listening to the music that you want to listen mm-hmm. to. You feel that sense of freedom. Yeah. It, it's funny because... Actually, during the break, Michelle and I were talking about, Michelle asked if I was ever a mascot at school <laughs> spirit. And in high school, I was in DECA, Distributive Education Clubs of America. And so I got off school at lunchtime. I, I went to school for three hours and then got off for the rest of the day to work. And so I drove to school and invariably was late, which probably wasn't the best thing to do. That caused me to, I believe, fail an accounting class. Whoa. Yeah. And... Uh, 
driving was necessary for me. So from that time, from the time I was 17 until I was done with my high school career, I uh, I didn't ride the bus at all. I Randy, when I asked you if you were a mascot, you started talking about college, and I said, no, no, in high school, and you go, I was never there. <laughs> It's, that's why, though. You really missed that much school. Yeah, I did. Wow. And I got A's for all of it. Amazing. Because I did really good work at what was then called an Onyx gas station. Text in if you remember Onyx. But I managed the one up here on Olive when I was 17 years old, when I was a senior in high school. It was great. From the 314. school. I loved school. This might have surprised you, but I loved school. Well, you always got good grades. Yeah, I liked the uh, the payoff of getting good grades, of working towards something and then taking the test and getting the payoff. Yeah. I loved I loved taking notes. I loved highlighters. Oh, oh yeah. Was such a weirdo. Yeah. One time I got <laughs> Love highlighters. a B minus, and I think it was in an, in an English class, and my family did a conga line because they were so impressed that I got a B minus. They did a conga line? <laughs> What's the last time we did a conga line? They Long don't do those ago. at weddings anymore. Long, I don't know. What, when did the conga line die? I didn't get the bulletin, and a conga line's a good time. It is. I wonder why they stopped it. I wonder why. You've got the electric slide. You've got the Cupid mm-hmm. shuffle. What happened to the conga line? Good question. Thank you. From the 314, what's better, giving up watching your favorite team for the rest of your life or giving up watching your favorite TV show for the rest of your life? Oh, uh, this is easy for me. TV show. TV show. Forget it. I couldn't even tell you what my favorite TV show is. Have you ever seen or heard of the show Mom on CBS? Mom? No. Okay, so it's been promoted a lot over the years. I thought it would have been on for like two or three years on CBS because it's been promoted on golf and football and stuff coming up tonight at or whatever Thursday night at seven watch the show mom it's Allison Janney and um, uh, Anna Ferris okay Anna Ferris and I'm watching CBS Sunday morning on Sunday I watched it with Allison Janney yeah I watched that the show's been on for eight years I couldn't believe it I've never seen a second of the show I've never Not seen one it either. second I learned more in that piece about uh, Allison Janney about mom than I had ever heard about mom in my entire life I had no idea so bizarre. So a show like that lasts for eight years, and we have no idea. When, If you watch The Big Bang Theory or Young Sheldon, Texan 65780. Never saw one second of either of those. No, not one second, and they call it America's Favorite Sitcom, and every time I see it, I'm like, who is watching this? My grandfather. He's keeping that okay. show running. Okay, okay, we have one. one. We have one. But I, I no, none of my friends are like, hey, did you catch Young Sheldon? Did you catch The Big Bang Theory? No one I know loves that show. Do you watch any traditional network shows on Fox, CBS, NBC, ABC? Not one. Here's another one I've never seen. And I think it's been on for like 20 years. I've never seen Grey's Anatomy. Not I was once. just going to say that. It's a great show. Is it? I've never it seen it once. I watched it back in the day. Great show. But it's... I don't watch it anymore. So, okay, one, two, three people. Big Bang Theory is amazing. My mother binges it. I'm 25. I watched every episode. There you go. Good. Mom is hilarious. So there are people watching this stuff. I am not one of them. And maybe it's because we base our evenings and sometimes our days around watching sports. Yeah. I'm not casually surfing through my guide and settling on mom because I'm watching the Blues at 9 or I'm watching the Cardinals at 12.15, whatever time the game starts. I don't really, I can't really stumble into a network show. And my thing is, my destination is going to start with ESPN. So even if the Blues and Cardinals aren't playing, I'll do respect to those shows. Yeah, I'll do respect. I'm probably going to watch the the Bucks and the Nets before I would watch mom. What? (laughs) 
And with all due respect to mom, yeah. what's your favorite TV show of all time? Seinfeld. It, and it's such an easy choice for you to never watch Seinfeld again and to watch the yeah. Cardinals all the time. It is. Me too. Yeah. I, I think it's not even comparable. Sports no. is the best TV show on. It's the best reality TV. It's the best TV show. And Absolutely. it changes every night. Yep. Thanks, Emily. Thank you. And thanks for your text to the Air Comfort Service text line, 65780. Coming up, the Angels obviously have DFA'd Albert Pujols, but is this the end for him? That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> Late last week, the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim DFA'd former Cardinal future Hall of Famer Albert Pujols, and he still doesn't have a team. But at some point, he's going to have to make the decision whether he wants to go to one of the teams or if he doesn't get any offers, he's going to have to determine that it's all over for him and he's not going to try to get a job anymore. Michelle, a 656 OPS over the last five years. He has not been a productive player the issue here is that he still believes he is a productive player. Correct, which is what all signs point to and the reason that he wanted to get out of L.A. because he wasn't getting enough playing time, or so he thought he wasn't getting enough playing time and wanted to go somewhere where he thought he would have a better opportunity to play every day. And I thought that there might have been conversations externally with maybe his agent or someone that he had spoken to because I... I just can't really believe that he would think that there was all of these opportunities for him unless he had some assurance that that was the case. Because for him to to basically put this in motion and then not have a place to go mm-hmm. would be very embarrassing for someone who is a huge star, a huge piece of baseball history. I just I think about Albert Pujols and I think about what I saw and I think about his career and how rare and exceptional and special it is. And it can't end like this. It can't end with you forcing your way out to some extent and then not having a landing spot. It just that seems so unceremonious for someone who we thought the end would be him reaching 700, which is such a a rare and exclusive pinnacle in baseball. I just I can't see it ending this way without him having some prior knowledge of maybe a place that might have been interested in him. And obviously, it takes one. He would like to have options, but there might not be a lot of options. But he says if there is one, and this was back in spring training with the fast lane, he said if there's an option, he's playing. That's a great question, Brad, because it's, uh, to me, I still have that fire. I, I still love the game. I mean, just because this is my last year, of my contract, that doesn't mean that I'm gonna I'm gonna be done. I mean, if I feel healthy, if I feel that I can continue to play, I'm gonna play until all thirty bucks clubs shut the door. I mean, say no, you too old, you go home, you can't compete anymore. But I feel that that my body, I feel really good. I put a lot of hours uh, into the gym uh, this off season, you know, training hard, um, and I feel really, really good. Uh, you know, this year coming into camp and. I don't know. I think after the season, that's going to be a, a more serious question that I'm going to sit down and, you know, talk to the family, talk to some of my uh, best friend, uh, friends, you know, that I that I share information like this. But uh, I feel really good as of right now. Uh, I'm telling you right now, and, and I'm being honest, like 
that retirement thing is not even in my head right now because I feel really good. And that was from spring training with the fast lane. Notable that he said all 30 teams are going to have to shut the door on him. Mm -hmm. And also, Michelle, notable that he could have stayed with the Angels had he been amenable to being a bench player. And it seems like now options that may exist for him include being a bench player. Right. And so I would guess that he doesn't have any interest in that now. Maybe the opportunity to come home to St. Louis and be a part of this organization again and have his career come full circle. Maybe that changes things for him. But as of right now, if if what I'm gathering from what we know is correct, it doesn't seem like the Cardinals would be a desirable place for him. Bob Nightingale of USA Today was on with BK and Ferrario yesterday and was asked about the possibility of coming back to St. Louis. Well, he still views himself as an everyday player. Now, if the phone doesn't ring for the next couple of months, there's nothing out there, I, I think he would, you know, jump to St. Louis in a heartbeat. You know what I mean? Uh, I can't tell you how many times he's wanted to, you know, said he wanted to finish his career in, in St. Louis. He still talked about going back two years ago as the greatest moment of his career, you know, at least regular season. Uh, you know, when the Angels came back and he got 13, 14 standing ovations. You know, he loves St. Louis, still has a home in the, in the suburbs. And, uh, you know, even a dream come true for him, you know, to finish his career there. You know, even, even if it meant, you know, being a, a pinch hitter in, you know, September when you have, uh, you know, more uh, call-ups, you know, only three more call-ups these days, you know, compared to, compared to the past. But he, uh, he loves St. Louis, and, you know, he'll go to the Hall of Fame wearing a Cardinals cap. Michelle, I can't envision a scenario in which if he doesn't have a job by the All-Star break, Bob said if he doesn't get any calls for, to be a regular in the next couple of months, the, the All-Star break is in two months. If he doesn't have a job by the All-Star break, He's not getting any calls to be a player. He's done if he doesn't have a job by July 11th. That's what I was thinking as I heard Bob say that as well. If you're a team and you're looking at the the recent body of work and then he hasn't played for a few months, what changed unless there was an injury that would lead you to believe that Albert Pujols is your best option? But I think most teams are, are looking at it. And even though there are still some milestones for Albert to accomplish, it's could put some butts in the seats, but at that point, how do you feel about what you're going to get from him from a production standpoint? I, I just don't know if it doesn't happen here soon, if it's going to happen. And I really hope it does happen. I hope that wherever he lands, it's a good spot for him and that he does get to play because I can't see it ending like this. Of all the endings that we could have written to Albert Pujols' career, this is not how it should be. If you are a team that has no chance of winning, isn't trying to win this year. Is Albert's pursuit of 700 home runs enough to entice people to come out to the ballpark? I don't think it is. If you're Detroit, and Detroit has Miguel Cabrera already, but let's use Colorado, Detroit, Pittsburgh as examples. And Pittsburgh just DFA'd Todd Frazier. But let's use those three teams as examples. Are people going to show up? We'll show up to watch Albert Pujols pinch hit in St. Louis. Are people in Pittsburgh or Detroit or Denver going to show up to watch Albert Pujols hit his 693rd home run? No, there's no emotional no, connection there. None, none at all. So it doesn't make sense for them. That, it's not going to increase their bottom line, even if they do fill the th- their building to capacity. I only see one real, logical, sensible place, and that is here as the 25th or 26th player. Otherwise, if he, if that's not it, I think Albert is done. Oh, man. 
And there's just, if you're if you're a good team, you definitely aren't signing him to play. No, and here's where I think it gets tricky because I think a lot of teams are looking at Albert Pujols and they want that greatness in their organization because he does provide so much from a mentoring standpoint. The way that Albert has gone about his business, the the knowledge about the game that he has, that's valuable. He is valuable mm-hmm. to an organization in so many ways. But what his desires are and what their desires are for his roles to be are conflicting. If he's thinking he's going to come there and he wants to play and they're thinking they're bringing him in because it would be a good PR move. And more importantly, he would provide a certain level of cachet and experience to their team and potentially help young players along. I don't know if that's a a role that he would want to accept at that point, at this point, especially for an organization that he doesn't have that connection with. The Angels have a 27-year-old first baseman that can rake in Jared Walsh, and he had no desire to mentor him. He wanted to play every day. They have a young outfielder coming up, Joe Adele, and Albert didn't have any desire, it appears, to be a bench player so that Joe Adele could play. It's one thing when he's playing and Mike Trout is out there in center field. It's one thing to mentor in that situation. I don't think... Uh, it's pretty clear to me that Albert does not want a mentor from the bench. Yeah. Well, I don't, I, that's a very tough position for him to be in because if you're Albert Pujols and your entire life, basically, you've been the guy, the guy, mm-hmm. and you've always been able to summon greatness, it's very hard to realize that that's not there anymore. And to that first thing that we heard from him, every single team is going to have to tell him no. And he did say, I feel great. He obviously still feels like he can play at a high level, but he hasn't done anything in the last four or five years to convince other teams of that. So what we have here is a failure to communicate, right? Because Albert thinks he can still play. The Angels don't. My guess is that most of baseball believes that a 41-year-old who has a 656 OPS over the last five years, they probably are looking at that as more of a reality, more than a trend, more than a small sample size. I would think that baseball probably has their mind made up, too. I wonder then how quickly he comes to that realization and how quickly he would be amenable to the role that might exist for him here in St. Louis. And... At least that role would not infringe upon the playing time of a young player. If he comes to St. Louis and the Cardinals, A, have to communicate to him, this is what your job is. You're a pinch hitter. Goldie's going to take off once every two or three weeks. You might get a chance then, but your job is not going to be a regular player. That has to be defined for him. And then he has to come to the realization that he's just not as good as Paul Goldschmidt. And he, he has to come in with the knowledge that, or let me put it this way, the acceptance, which is a hard thing to do mm-hmm. when you're as prideful an athlete as he is, with the acceptance that he's not going to be Paul Goldschmidt up. And when you're Albert Pujols and you always in your mind had 700 on the table, mm-hmm. that was that was one of the goals that you had. It's hard to let that go, especially for someone who works as hard as he does, who's as dedicated to the game as he is. If you've worked your entire career and you're getting so close to something that you want so badly, I understand why he why he would want to play every day. And one other point, and you made a great point yesterday. Thank you. It, it's quite valid. <laughs> is you don't want to get two weeks into the Albert Pujols experience of the comeback in St. Louis and have him in the clubhouse, in the trainer's room, 
grousing with Yadier Molina over his lack of playing time. No. You don't want to bring that in. As much as I would love to see Albert come back to St. Louis because it's an incredible story and because it would be um, imagine being a part of that. Imagine mm-hmm. after everything that has happened, being able to watch Albert Pujols put the birds on the bat on again and be at Bush Stadium in whatever role. It would be an incredible story. It would be storybook in so many ways. However, this is a competitor. This is someone that believes in himself and believes in his abilities. And this is someone that at one point carried a lot of power in this organization and has a lot of allies mm-hmm. in this organization. And I... I love the story on the surface, but then I dig a little deeper and I don't want Albert Pujols to step into the bat and not be able to produce. I don't want that to be the last thing that he does at Bush Stadium. And I don't want his maybe disconnect between what he wants to do and what he believes he can do in reality to impact the chemistry of this team. Because right now the Cardinals are in such good. a good spot. And I I don't want Yadier Molina defending his brother on Instagram because he wants him to play more. I don't want Nolan Arenado to have to be asking answering questions about who he deemed to be his favorite player mm-hmm. and what, what do you think about Albert wanting to play more. That just seems like unnecessary distractions at this point. A couple of great texts. Number one from the 636. Albert has golfer's syndrome. It's the sporadic great moments that are bringing him back and making him think he's better than he is at this point. That's a great analogy. That's that's me on the golf course, as a matter of fact. And uh, this from the 636. Randy Carpenter says he feels well, too. So Pujol saying that means nothing. And finally, from the 314, I want Pujols to retire a Cardinal, but only a ceremonial one-day contract. I don't think teams trust him now. He keeps proving it's only about his pride and his money. He doesn't care about the team. I think he wants to win. I think he thinks yeah. he, the, the, I think that's the biggest issue, as a matter of fact. He believes he's good enough to help a team win, but he's not. Well, also, again, a lot of conflicting agendas here. Do you want to meet your personal goals or do you want to be on a team where you can potentially win a championship because you cannot have both things at the same time both things that situation the perfect situation for him does not exist right now it doesn't bill walton at the end of his career went to the celtics to try to help them win a championship he'd former mvp great player in the nba but he accepted being a sixth man for the Celtics. And that's what albert has to accept is if he wants to help a team win he best serves them by coming off the bench and while I understand that that's the role that he should want, he is such a towering presence mm-hmm. in St. Louis. Yeah. Can that happen here? I don't know. I just, I don't know if it can happen. It would be an interesting story if it does. I'll it tell was. you that. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up, get your text in for Take It or Leave It on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> Six five seven eight zero is our air comfort service text line number. If you'd like to participate in take it or leave it, also later on at eight thirty we do have the fight. And if you want to participate in the fight, just text the word "fight" with your name to six five seven eight zero, and we'll have a new fighter today. Michelle Peter King of NBC reporting that the Philadelphia Eagles are the favorites to land Deshaun Watson to be their quarterback in twenty twenty two. Take it or leave it. With Deshaun's background, he could be a success in Philly. Background being all the lawsuits. Why would that make him a success in Philly? I'm missing uh, the connector he, here. He, uh, the fans would allow him to be a success. I don't think that he would be accepted in Philadelphia. Oh, no. I also 
can't imagine the Eagles wanting to do that. You wouldn't think so. No. Although they did bring back Michael Vick. I think that's different time, different alleged crime. Zuh. Yeah. Multiple. 22. Yeah. In, 20, in 2021, we are a different society now. The conversations are different. But Michael killed dogs. Terrible. Terrible. Not condoning that either. But don't you think as a society now we're more vocal about things and we absolutely are things carry a little bit more somebody weight? is going to give this guy a chance i'm going to leave that i don't think they will as talented as he is and for a long mm-hmm. time i was very jaded about it and i thought it's the nfl of, of mm-hmm. course he'll find a landing spot he can play but gosh 22 yep the more this story evolved the more I was like, I don't know what team wants to absorb that because this is not over. This is not the lawsuits have been presented. This is the story. This is something that's going to continue for quite some time. And if you're a team, is that the face of the franchise that you want? No. And oh, by the way, King believes that the Eagles will give up multiple first rounders to get him. Wow. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Surprising. Randy, the Kansas City Chiefs, speaking of NFL, have announced their plans for full capacity crowds at Arrowhead Stadium this season. Um, Their single game tickets go on sale this week. Take it or leave it. Every single NFL stadium is going to be full capacity this fall. Take it. I'm going to take it, and I, I believe it'll be on opening day. I agree. In September. It's going to be so... I, I don't know if disconcerting is the right word, but to see a full stadium again and hear. Exhilarating. Cra- yeah, exhilarating is a great word. We had Pat Maroon Day the other day, the anniversary of Pat Maroon's mm-hmm. double overtime goal in the playoffs um, over the Dallas Stars. And I got a, a memory pop up on my phone from it. Mm-hmm. And, and just watching the video, you and I were in the press box and hearing the noise in, Enterpro- in Enterprise Center, it was deafening. It was absolutely deafening. That place sounded like it was going to explode. And it's been great to have fans back in the stands, but I think the first time most of us are back in a stadium, Mm -hmm. a full capacity stadium, and we feel that energy again and we hear how loud it is, it's going to be different. And I do like the idea that the Mets and Yankees are already doing it, and I think all sports teams would be smart to do this, is provide free tickets for a vaccination. Come to the game, get vaccinated, get a couple of tickets to go in. There you go. I think that's smart. Emily, what do you have for us on the text line? From the 314, take it or leave it. We don't need Albert as a mentor because Wainwright is the ideal role model for any athlete. I'm going to take that because not only is Adam Wainwright an ideal role model, Yadier Molina is an amazing leader on this team. Nolan Arenado, Paul Goldschmidt, this Cardinals team is not devoid of leadership and not devoid of guys that are willing to mentor younger players like a Dylan Carlson mm-hmm. or someone that has helped Jack Flaherty along a lot. It seems like this team has a really good balance of star veteran players and young up-and-coming players and that the chemistry is there. From the 636, take it or leave it, Tarasenko is not protected in the expansion draft. I'm going to take that. I think I might take it, too, and I can't believe we're taking it. But He's played 34 games in two years, and if you just look at the way everything shapes up, first of all, what it comes down to, I think, is Tarasenko versus Barbashev, and I think you keep Barbashev. You're keeping 
let's assume that you don't sign Jaden Schwartz before the expansion draft. So you sign him after the expansion draft. So you're keeping Shen, you're keeping O'Reilly, you're keeping Perron, you're keeping Thomas, you're keeping Kairu, you're keeping Barbashev, and you're keeping Sunquist. So one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. That's the number of forwards that you protect. And then you dare uh, Seattle to, to take him. And by the way, I would do the same thing with Tori Krug. I'll do respect, but I would protect Mikola. I would protect Mikola, Falk, mm-hmm. and uh, Pareko. Do you think they would dare to take Tarasenko? No, not if he's played 34 games in two years, and he's 30 years old, and he's it's breaking down. So it seems like a smart gamble Good for gamble. the Blues. Yep. Yeah. From the 314, take it or leave it. The only possible team where Albert could get significant playing time on a contender would be Cleveland. Josh Naylor or Albert at first base, Albert or Franmil Reyes at DH. Yeah, I would take that, but I really don't think that organization and Tito Francona are going to provide that opportunity for him. It would, if there was one where he could play on a regular basis as a platoon player with a contender, yes, that would be it. But I think they believe, they have to believe they can do better than Albert can at, at this point. They can find a better player, a more productive player than Albert Pools. Most teams want to gamble on youth. Yeah. And they want to get younger players more opportunities. And um, that's why I don't know if a spot on a contending team exists for him. Yeah. And by the way, if you are looker, looking for mentorship because they trade all their veterans, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe that would be a reason you would do it if you were Cleveland. You do have a lot of young, especially a lot of young Latin players. So maybe you give him that opportunity to be a mentor in there. From the 217, take it or leave it, the Cardinals win at least four of six against Milwaukee and San Diego this week. Ooh, good question. That is really good. And I'm going to take it. I am too. Four of six? Yeah, two out of three, two out of three. Yep. Yeah, just, hey, go in here and pitch and win two of three in Milwaukee and then just hit the ball to... uh, Fernando Tatis Jr. when you're in San Diego. The errors. Yeah, 11 of them. 11. Not great. No. From the 502, take it or leave it, Dylan Carlson will finish the season batting over 300 and will win Rookie of the Year. I will... I'm going to be the homer and I'm going to take it. He certainly could. I think he could definitely win Rookie of the Year. Yeah. So I'll give it to him right now. You're going to give it to him right now? Yep. On May 11th? Yep. What do you think of that? Congratulations, Dylan. Yeah. Get your speech ready. Yeah. It, <laughs> come on over to the Baseball Writers' Dinner. You'll have you'll have a lot of fun getting your plaque at the Baseball Writers' Dinner. Thanks, Emily. Thank you. And thanks for your text to the Air Comfort Service text line, 65780. The Blues defeat the Kings 2-1, to one, and there wasn't much to the game, but the Blues are winning as they head towards the playoffs. That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Eight oh five in St. Louis. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. 
Michelle Smallman, Randy Carricker. Michelle, have you ordered your new Dunctionary t-shirt yet? I have not, but it's on my list of things to do because I need the latest edition. Gotta have it. He would have been 40 this month. His birthday would have been last week. And now through Friday, May 21st, you can order your limited edition Dunctionary t-shirt. Proceeds from all sales go to support the Chris Duncan Memorial Scholarship Fund. Thanks to Carstar, your auto body repair experts, for supporting this year's Dunctionary t-shirt campaign. Order your very own Dunctionary t-shirts now at 101ESPN.com. The Blues with an overtime 2-1 win last night in L.A. Last road game of the season for the St. Louis Blues. And now they just get ready for the playoffs. A couple of home games against Minnesota, and they'll play either Vegas or Colorado in the first round of the playoffs. Coach Craig Berube, you don't know who you're going to play. Does that matter? Not particularly. Like I said, we played these guys all year a lot, so we know them very well, both teams. Um, it's not like we're going to get surprised by anything. So, you know, from that standpoint, I think that, you know, we, we, we played these guys a bunch, both teams, and we know what we got to do and what they're going to do. So, um, you know, the work's kind of already done, but we got to, you know, we'll break some things down and we'll figure it out. Like I, well, we should, we should obviously will know soon. Both Vegas and Colorado are dynamic. Mm-hmm. I believe in the first round, I would rather play Colorado than Vegas. Because you're really honing in on that top line? Yes. Vegas is much more physical. They've got four lines that'll come at you. They've got proven Stanley Cup championship pedigree between the pipes. And I I just find Vegas to be more scary than Colorado. I do too. But both are pretty scary. Both are really good. Really <laughs> both are good. Pretty scary. Yeah. And if you play, if you don't play playoff hockey, then Colorado is going to skate right by you. But I do think you have a better opportunity to upend the Avalanche than you do the Golden Knights. And not to say Colorado isn't physical and gritty because they've. That's one of the things they've done. They've acquired physical, gritty players that you hate playing against. Right. But they still have a group of players that is pretty incapable of playing that heavy game. And if the Blues play their game and forecheck, I don't know if they're capable of it right now at this stage with the changes that have been made, but the Blues have a better chance of playing their game and winning in their game against Colorado than they do against Vegas. Because Vegas will do the exact same thing the Blues do. And to what Craig Bruby was just talking about, I'm trying to work in a, a dunk a dunk phrase here because the blues have played both of these teams so many times this season and they know them pretty intimately they're not gonna have the tight cheeks entering the playoffs i think it's good that they're getting certain players a rest i think it's good that they're getting other players back hopefully by the end of the season getting tory krug back in the mix getting a win last night certainly helps from from a momentum standpoint even though there's really nothing to play for and everybody just doesn't want to get hurt at this point but i do think the fact that you know both of these teams whoever your opponent is going to be you know the game plan you know Mm -hmm. the way that they can beat you and you know the way that you can beat them it's about going out there playing clean hockey and executing jordan biddington what do you think of the fact that you don't know who you're going to play yet no it is what it is um we got to take care of ourselves and and prepare uh prepare in our own way and whoever it may be um you know we'll uh we'll see them and <laughs> michelle yesterday darren pang said that the way the Blues can win in the first round is by Jordan Bennington stealing games. I just am laughing so hard. He 
Whoever it is, we will see them. Yes, you will. <laughs> yes, you yes, will. Yes, you will. But I like that, though. I like the flatliner Jordan Bennington. I like that he is the do I look nervous. I'm showing zero emotion Jordan Bennington. That's what we need out of him. That's the type of goalie that we've seen him be. And Jordan Bennington can steal some some postseason games for you. Jordan Bennington can be the reason that you win and he's been playing really well and hopefully he propels this team into some playoff success but it can't just be him I thought in 2019 when the playoffs started that the Blues were capable of winning a Stanley Cup the way they had played down the stretch in the second half they were so hot Bennington was so hot they had a lot of great elements and I honestly I thought Tampa Bay would win the Stanley Cup that year. They got knocked out in the first round. But I did believe that the Blues were good enough to win a cup. I don't think as the Blues are currently constituted that they are good enough to win a Stanley Cup. And it's because of the defense. It's it's because they're missing the Bowmeasters and the Petrangelos and the 100% Parecos of the world. Carl Gunnarsson obviously had a big series. I think the Blues need more size on their blue line and more experience on their blue line to be what they can be, and they sorely miss Oscar Sundquist. But Randy, you said this was not a playoff team, and here they are making the playoffs. So maybe if you say that they're not capable of winning a cup, that means they are capable of winning a cup. Is there a method to the madness? All roads lead to hardware on character and smallness. So I'm true. just trying to switch the narrative. However, I'm with you. I'm with you. <laughs> in, in, in 2019, I think you looked at the talent and the style of play and you felt like it was possible, but it was the entire experience of a lifetime of blues misery that led you to believe it wasn't possible. Mm -hmm. And also because the Stanley Cup playoffs are a beast and anything can happen and it's a war of attrition in a lot of ways. And... You, look, you looked at that team, though, and you did feel like they were capable of doing it. Now, at times this season, you've seen flashes of what this Blues team could be. Have they put it together the entire season? No. Could they get hot at the right time? Sure. But I certainly think in 2019, you felt a lot more confident about the talent on the ice than you do heading into the playoffs this season. And if it is a war of attrition, haven't the Blues already pretty much lost that? <laughs> this year they've been dealing it's an internal battle at this point between yeah. them and injuries it's just been absolutely brutal for this team yeah so you hope that everything coalesces and like the 06 cardinals everything comes into comes to fruition for the 2021 blues i just i, I wish i could say that i thought that they would be able to pull that off i i don't think that they'll be able to but Hey, they're in the playoffs 44 times in the playoffs for the St. Louis Blues. Give them credit for that. And they do have the heart of a lion. They do have the heart of a champion. So if if they do get knocked out, whoever does it is going to deserve a ton of credit. They could be dangerous. They really could. But they're going to have to face a very tough team. Either way, they're going to face a tough team. That is today's Fresh Take on 101 ESPN. Coming up. We're seeing a lot of pitchers come up throwing 98, 99, 100 miles an hour. How important is that? And is that really the best thing for the pitchers? That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> Michelle, I think we're all troubled by another injury to Jordan Hicks, and it would seem as if he's probably headed to the 60-day DL. This is going to be another lengthy arm injury for Jordan Hicks. Mm -hmm. And 
he's not a small guy. He's 6'2 and 220. But when we watch him pitch and he's throwing 100, 101, 102, 105 miles an hour, he's clearly, in my mind, using max effort. I mean, I can't imagine that when you're throwing 105, you aren't using max effort, right? I think physically you have to be using max effort to, to get it there, right? Yeah. And so far this year, Hicks, before he got hurt, had not had great control. He had thrown 10 innings, uh, he had walked 10, and he had struck out 10. So he's walking a hitter an inning. And last year, you and I had John Smoltz on the show, and I asked John Smoltz about Carlos Martinez because Carlos had actually talked about scaling back a little bit, taking a little off of his fastball so that he would have better command of his pitches. And it's something that John Smoltz had talked about for a long time, has talked about for a long time, is having better command and better durability, better longevity, if you decide, okay, I'm not going to throw 104 on this pitch. I'm going to throw 99 and put it exactly where I want to put it. This was Smoltz's explanation. Oh, it's going to do so much. Um, you know, when you ask somebody who's never had to do that, do it, it is a very, it's not that easy, right? I mean, it's like me telling somebody, uh, just take five miles an hour off your curveball and watch it break more. When you're used to doing something muscle memory, it takes time to be able to unchange that. But I'm telling you, there is so much, you know, it's a longer career for them. It's a healthier career, in my opinion, but it's a trust factor. And the, the problem with it, because young players don't always have the resources to be able to go through and learn in a year, we have instant access and instant pressure on them. So the moment something goes awry, you, your tendency is to revert back to what you know. And hopefully he can stay in that lane because I'm telling you, we watch pitchers all the time and I watch games all the time and I see guys with tremendous stuff. But my 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 wish is that they get to play with that tremendous stuff as long as possible and harness, you know, harness it, but to, that they can become their own pitching coach. I really, really believe that if, if, if pitchers understood that they need to learn how to become their own pitching coach as fast as they can, their careers would flourish. You know, there's so much information, there's so much great help. There's so much one-on-one teaching, but they have an opportunity if they're if they're willing to learn themselves, and it would just be so advantageous for them in their careers. And Michelle John Smoltz talks about pitchers becoming their own pitching coaches. Now he was specifically talking about Carlos Martinez, but we can mm-hmm. talk the exact same way about Jordan Hicks. Carlos Martinez or uh, Jordan Hicks never played a single game in the minors above A ball. He skipped Double A. He skipped Triple A completely. Jumped from A ball to the major leagues. How do you become your own pitching coach when you don't have that opportunity to learn, when you don't have that opportunity to pitch a lot at the minor league level? Also, there was such great perspective from John Smoltz there, but one of the things that I unpacked is that it's hard to change that muscle memory. If you're Jordan Hicks and this is the way you've been having success and you're in the position you are because of the way you've thrown the ball, it's very hard to adjust that. It's very hard to retrain your body and your mind to do something else, especially when you've had such great success doing it another way. Well, on Sunday, I asked about Smoltz's comments of the Cardinal skipper, Mike Schilt. And he had a really interesting take, I thought. Here's what Mike Schilt had to say. I, I don't disagree with what John's saying. In principle, I agree with it completely. Guys learn to pitch and add subtract as they get more experience in their career. And it's easy to say that. 
and understandably accurate. Think about breaking in as a big leaguer and you're a young pitcher. You're trying to establish yourself in this game. And, you know, it's easy to say, yeah, let's add, subtract. Probably right. May have better health long term. May not be as effective. There's an 86% discrepancy in pay between AAA and Major League Baseball. You tell me your career, which one you're going to do and how you're going to survive. You know, the other thing is we want our, we do want our relievers to last longer um, to take care of their business. Um, you know, our job is to protect them the best we can. We do it probably as, as much as anybody to sometimes the sacrifice of competition that day, and, and that doesn't taste great for people as well. Um, so, you know, it's a lot of responsibility to manage the bullpen, to manage themselves. Um, but when you're out there trying to survive at the highest level in, in your profession at a very young age and to establish yourself, it's hard to just go out there and go, yeah, I'm going to take a little off here facing, you know, whoever we're facing that has a bat in their hand that, you know, is trying to clobber something you're throwing at them. Great answer, informative mm-hmm. answer. And he is correct. When there's an 86% discrepancy in pay in the levels in baseball, you're thinking about that. You're thinking about your future. Or excuse me, you're thinking about the immediacy of things. You're not thinking about the future. And these are young men. Think about when you were young. You thought that nothing was going to happen to you. You thought you were going to be different. You approach things in a different way. You're not thinking about your career 10 years from now. You're thinking about your career right now. And you're thinking about the calling card and what got you here is throwing as hard as you can. It's throwing gas. That's who Jordan Hicks is. When we talk about Jordan Hicks, if we're tweeting about him, we use the flame emojis. This is who mm-hmm. he is. And so it's hard as a young player or a young any young person who's had success a certain way to be able to have the, the foresight to look down the road and understand that this is going to be something that is going to help them later. Randy, when I was young, I wasn't wearing sunscreen. I wasn't think, mm-hmm. thinking about what was going to happen 10 years from now. But now that I'm in my 30s, I'm like, man, I should have worn sunscreen on spring break. Let me tell you, my mom was right. You don't think about that stuff when you're a young person. And it's not the fault of the young pitcher that is using his velocity. Jordan Hicks is 24 years old. He's pitched 34 games at the minor league level, as we mentioned, all below AA. He's pitched 112 games in the majors. Well, what are you going to do? What got you there? What got you to the majors is throwing 102, 103. You shouldn't change it. So it's not your responsibility. It's the responsibility of baseball. Mm -hmm. And baseball is pulling away from that because I think what they're doing in baseball is determining, okay, this pitcher is disposable. He throws 98. I've got another guy and I throw a 98 in a ball and I'll just bring him up next time when this guy gets hurt. Baseball doesn't care. They want younger players that don't have as much experience because they don't have to pay them as much. So I don't think this is a pitcher issue as much as it is, as Mike Schilt referenced, an issue of the team needing to coach players up. But with fewer minor league teams now and fewer players in minor league systems, players are going to get to the major leagues quicker. They aren't going to get to the major leagues slower. So a player becoming his own pitching coach Mm -hmm. is just not going to happen the way baseball is presently constituted. No, they're thinking about getting the money that they can while they can get it. That's right. exactly what they're thinking about. And the, the franchises and the players. Exactly. All parties involved. Mm-hmm. However, 
I think sometimes when you're younger and you're in that position, if there's someone that you respect who's walked the path before you, that's certainly someone you're going to listen to. And I would look at somebody like Adam Wainwright if I was mm-hmm. a young pitcher. And his career certainly hasn't been devoid of, of injuries. But at this stage of his life, the way that he is able to go out and be so dominant is because of the the different pitches that he utilizes, the diversity that he has. He's not out there throwing as hard as he can every single time. He's He's pitching. He's working in a smart manner. And I would certainly look at someone like him and try to pick his brain as much as possible. If you are Helsley or Hicks or Flaherty, absolutely. Because Adam did used to throw 95-96. It's not there. He topped out at 91.2 the other day. You take advantage of that knowledge. I believe it would be smart for baseball. The You know how the uh, NFL has that rookie symposium and they they have Aeneas speak and a lot of yeah. for, Chris Carter, former players. I believe that baseball should have a pitcher's symposium and have people like Adam and John Smoltz speak to pitchers. Now, fact of the matter is, this is a fact, this isn't an opinion, baseball doesn't want pitchers that are in their seventh year because they're paying them a bunch of money. Yeah. They're happy with the template that they have right now and not having to pay young guys and just bringing the next young guy along. But if you wanted to do what's best for the players and their future and get them to be the best for a long time, then you would do things like that. You would have young pitchers be taught how to be their own pitching coach. And like Carlos is doing, have them dial back a little bit for greater command and become better pitchers. But when there's that 86% discrepancy discrepancy in pay, that's the thing that is always yeah. going to jump out among everything else. If I'm 22 years old and I'm going to get an 86% pay jump, I'm not thinking about my future. No. And those the, the <laughs> no kids way. the kids at AAA, they're going to do what got them there, right? They're yeah. going to absolutely throw as hard as they can. But if you're a Hicks now and you've gone through Tommy John, if you're an Alex Reyes, then all of a sudden maybe reality sets in a little bit and you say, okay, I can become a good pitcher that still has really good stuff and good velocity, but it doesn't have to be that overpowering velocity. I can overpower a guy better with 96 on the black than I can with 102 right down the middle of the plate. But the, that's after the injuries. Yeah. And how many people well, have the injuries and they never come back. And that's why I, when you talk about a symposium, it's got to be for major leaguers because mm-hmm. you're right. Unfortunately, minor leaguers, they aren't going to pay attention to that. They do want to throw as hard as they can, and they're going to take advantage of their abilities. And they should. That's what gets them to the major league level. But to keep you in the majors for a long time, I think you need to learn how to command. And we mentioned this off the air, especially once the electronic strike zone comes about. Yep then command is going to be paramount. It's going to be the currency for pitchers more than velocity is. Because throwing it, as we've seen with Hicks, if you throw it 100 right down the middle of the plate, major league hitters are going to hit it. Yes, they are. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. It's an interesting topic. And actually, Schilte said it was the end of his press conference, and he said, I I wish I had more time. I'd I'd like to discuss this more. It would be interesting to see what some of his ideas are in terms of fixing what I think is a problem because too many young pitchers are having Tommy John and not lasting long enough. The fight is coming your way next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Welcome to the fight on Character and Smallman. In the red corner, average Joe listener. 
It's Carriker and Smallman here on 101 ESPN. It's 834. That time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. And if it's 834, it means it's time for the fight. So let's welcome in Randy's competition today. Chris is going to take on Randy. What's up, Chris? How you doing? I'm good. How are you guys? We're doing great. Chris, are you a Cardinals fan? <laughs> so uh, I'm not. <gasps> I, uh, my dad grew up in San Francisco, so I'm a diehard Giants fan. I grew up in Kansas City, so I'm also a Royals fan. <laughs> oh, my gosh. You're uh, the rare Giants Royals fan living in St. Louis. <laughs> Chris, yep, what I've did been you... here for 12 years, though. So. Sorry for interrupting you. What did you do in 2014? Oh, I, it, was, it was hard. Um, I was torn, but I, I, I did root for the Giants. So, so uh, Travis Ishikawa, nightmare fuel for St. Louis. Hero for you. Yeah. <laughs> All right, yeah. Chris. Well, let's jump into the fight. Good luck. Question number one for you. On this day in 1996, Florida Marlin, Al Leiter, no-hit the Colorado Rockies with a final score of 11 to nothing. Leiter's son, Jack, is a star pitcher at which SEC school? Is it Mississippi State, Vanderbilt, or Florida? Let's go with Vanderbilt. Giancarlo Stanton led MLB with 59 home runs in 2017 who hit the second most home runs that season. Was it J.D. Martinez, Aaron Judge, or Joey Gallo? Uh, I believe it was Joey Gallo. Russell Westbrook matched his 182nd career NBA triple-double last night, becoming the all-time NBA triple-doubles leader, who is now currently in second place with 181. Is it Oscar Robertson, Magic Johnson, or Jason Kidd? We'll go Magic. And which blue led the team in goals in the 2018-2019 regular season? Was it David Perron, Ryan O'Reilly, or Vladimir Tarasenko? I I believe it was Ryan O'Reilly. All right. Checking score. Randy's on his way in. So, Chris, do you have allegiance to any St. Louis teams? I would say the Blues. I, you know, growing up in Kansas City, NHL wasn't really big there, so right. I've started to follow a little bit more since I've been here. But other than that, I like the Cardinals, but I'm definitely not a, a diehard Cardinals fan. Right. Well, I know since you're a Blues fan, or at least a little bit of a Blues fan, that you're going to be listening <laughs> to the Blues and Wild here on 101 ESPN tomorrow night game. Oh, yeah, of course. Of course. Pre-game at 7 p.m. with Alex Ferrario. Randy, say hello to Chris. He is a rare... Giants Royals fan living in St. Louis. Chris, welcome to the show. Great to have you with us. Is this uh, San Francisco Giants and Royals? Yes. My dad grew up in San Francisco. I grew up in KC. Gotcha. My son is a huge San Francisco Giants fan, too. Awesome. He became one when Mike Matheny went there as a player. Oh, there you go. Stuck with him ever since. There you go. So is he a Royals fan now that Matheny's there? Does he follow Matheny? No, not anymore. He's, okay. He likes the Royals because he has to work Royals games yeah. now and then. But no, I think he's he's just Giants. Okay. All right, Randy. Question number one. Mm-hmm. On this day in 1996, Florida Marlin Al Leiter no-hit the Colorado Rockies with a final score of 11 to nothing. Mm-hmm. Leiter's son Jack is a star pitcher at which SEC school? SEC school. Oh, I believe it's he and Kamar Rocker at Vanderbilt. Giancarlo Stanton led MLB with 59 home runs in 2017, who hit the second most home runs that season. Uh, hmm. 
Who would have hit the second most? I'll do the lifeline. J.D. Martinez, Aaron Judge, Joey Gallo. Hmm. Uh, that year, 2017, J.D. Martinez played for the Tigers and the Diamondbacks, and I believe it was him. I'll go with him. Russell Westbrook notched his 182nd career NBA triple-double last night, mm-hmm. becoming the all-time NBA triple-doubles leader, mm-hmm. who is now currently in second place with 181. The big O, Oscar Robertson. And which blue led the team in goals in the 2018-2019 regular season? 2018-2019. So this was the Stanley Cup championship season. And I don't think it was O'Reilly, and I don't think it was Vladdy, and it definitely wasn't Schwartzy. So we're down to uh, Schenner and Perron, and it was... No, Vladdy, no, Vladdy didn't miss time. He played every game. So I will go with Vladimir Tarasenko. All right. Emily, let him know who won. The winner and still champion of the fight, Randy Carricker. The fight sponsored by Ryan Kelly and HeroLoan.com. Check out how they help veterans and service members at the new and improved HeroLoan.com. Sorry, Chris. Randy beat you three to one. Randy does not like the second the second place questions. The text line is chiming in saying Randy, LOL, LOL, hates the second place questions. And he got that one wrong. Got it wrong. So uh, Jack Leiter is a star pitcher at Vanderbilt. You guys both got that one correct. Giancarlo Stanton led Major League Baseball with 59 home runs in 2017. And everyone knows that Aaron Judge was second oh, yeah. on that list in 2017 with 52 home runs. Russell Westbrook. The NBA all-time triple doubles leader with 182. Oscar Robertson, now second place on that list with 181. And the blue that led the team in goals in the 2018-2019 regular season was Vladdy. It was Vladimir Tarasenko with 33. Chris, thanks so much for listening. Thanks for playing. Have a great day. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. Thank you, Chris. Appreciate you listening. That is Chris joining us in the fight on 101 ESPN. Next up, we're going to head back to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line and our friend Mike Claiborne going to talk some Cardinal baseball. Does he think they'll be able to put some distance between themselves and the Brewers this week? That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Mike Claiborne on Cardinal Radio Broadcasts on KMOX and the Cardinal Network. You also read his great work and see and hear his great work at ClavesOnline.com. And you hear him with Character and Smallman here on 101 ESPN. Good morning, Michael. How are you this morning? I am fantastic, although I'm a little frustrated because I'm still wearing sweaters in the month of May. Me too. <laughs> I've got a jacket on. Same, same way this should not be happening. No, even my dog on the walk this morning was like, wait a minute, what? going on here you know even the, the pets feel like there's something wrong absolutely i have a jacket on too it's ridiculous clubs but before we jump into the cardinals i want to get your thoughts on albert Pujols. is there a place that you see as a good landing spot for him uh not in major league baseball um you know obviously he's got 14 teams that in the american league that might have an interest or it would be eligible and i just don't see that um you know, it's a very awkward situation. 
And, you know, this thing just didn't happen overnight. But, you know, diminished skills, uh, the fact that teams, you know, have made decisions on how much they want to sink into the DH, I just don't see it. Now, maybe somebody kicks the tires because of the price tag. But it's got to be a good situation where they can say to Albert, hey, you're going to play five days a week. You're going to DH five days a week. I don't know what team that that is. And I think we've all kind of gone up and down that list of teams that, yeah, maybe you could do this or maybe you could do nah. And then when you add it up, it just doesn't work. But who knows? An injury or something might come about. But the question there is, what does he do until it's time for him to play if somebody really needs him? I mean, what, is he going to play catch in the backyard? I mean, he's got to be in some sort of competitive environment uh, just to stay sharp. I just don't think he's got that skill set anymore where he can roll out of bed and get three hits. What if he was willing to take a reduced role? Do you think that a reunion with St. Louis is something that the Cardinals should pursue? I guess the reduced role would consist of what? We're talking about a guy in Paul Goldschmidt who plays every day. Um, he'd be your number one pinch hitter coming off the bench, but I don't know if, if he can catch up to some of the pitches that we're seeing people throw at him these days. Would I like to see him in some role? Yes, but not at the expense of someone else who may be able to contribute more. Um, and the question would be, well, who's that? And the answer would be, I don't know, because the Cardinal bench isn't as, as deep as you'd like for it to be. But, man, I tell you one thing, Michelle, his presence of understanding the game and maybe helping somebody else was something I would certainly consider. Clayton, does the Cardinals play 17 games in 17 days and go 13-4? and four. What do you take out of that? Well, they did what they were supposed to do, or at least expected to do. They beat up on the bad teams. I, I, I thought that was important. I mean, you can't lose two out of three to Pittsburgh or let Colorado come in here and win one out of three or sweep. You know, you, you put those teams away, and, and that's what you were supposed to do. Um, there were a couple of games that got away from you that maybe you look back and you say, maybe if we didn't walk as many people, we could probably have won those games. But overall, I, I thought it was a good run. Uh, now, we're going to turn it up a notch here because we'll play Milwaukee and San Diego in our next round of games. And they're, they're a tad better, although not as consistent as I think we expected them to be. They got off to great starts, but they kind of come back to the pack a little bit. So uh, we'll see how things fare with them. But it'll be a good test. Mike, I'll say this for Craig Council. He's getting the most and over the years has gotten the most out of his teams. And when we talk about best managers, his name doesn't come up a lot. I look at the offense for the Brewers, and I don't see how they could be 19 and 16. I know their pitching is great, yeah. but they they don't have any, with the Yelich out of the lineup, they don't have any premier hitters on their team. No, you're right, Randy. And, and you know, they manufacture runs. They can run a little bit. Uh, they do some fundamental things well, but, but yeah, they, they don't scare you. I think the one thing they have working for them is their ballpark is a launching pad. So, you know, you get the ball up there, maybe all of a sudden you become more of a home run hitting team, but they, uh, yeah, they don't wow you. I mean, they don't, there's not a pitching coach in America that should be staying awake at night wondering how we're going to get the brewers out. I mean, they're, they're consistent, but you know, they don't uh, overwhelm you when you look at them on paper or you look at their lineup card, but they do find a way to get it done. Now, they're a little bit better defensively. I, I mm -hmm. think when Yelich was in the outfield, they had as good of an outfield as there was in baseball defensively. Problem is Jackie Bradley Jr. isn't hitting. Uh, Yelich is out. 
uh, and they're having to find it from other players that, you know, like Vogelberg. Here, here's a guy that I thought he was going to play for the Seattle Seahawks last year. I mean, <laughs> he had gotten to that size, but now he's found a way to get himself in the lineup and he's made himself a, a valuable player to that team. Clay, since the Cardinals just completed the sweep over the Rockies, Nolan Arenado's old team, we've kind of revisited that relationship. And now that we've gotten a chance to see Nolan Arenado day in and day out, he is so much more than advertised as a player, as yes. a competitor, as a person. I just cannot believe the situation that he was in in Colorado and that they couldn't make it work with him and around him. Well, I, I agree with you, Michelle, on both points. Um, he He's worth the price of admission to me. And, and I, I think – when you think about defensive players who you would pay to watch in a Cardinal uniform, it starts with Ozzy, Scott Rowland, and I think Arnado's right there. Uh, or that Cardinal infield was worth the price of admission with Ozzy and that bunch. But mm-hmm. Arnado makes plays that we just like look and say, did he just do that? You know, now you know it's it's possible because we've seen him do it when he was in Colorado, but when you see it on a daily basis, uh, it, it is fascinating to watch. And I'll tell you another guy who has pleasantly surprised me with his consistency and his defense is Tommy Edmond. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's nothing Tommy Edmond can't do on baseball field. Um, if we can get him to, to get on the Blues power play, then we really got something <laughs> going here because there's nothing it seems like he can't do. Uh, but but Arnado is really good. And to finish your point on, on the Colorado, Michelle, all he asked for was just get get some people in here who can help us win. And they went in the other way. They they signed him to a contract, and he says, great. Hey, Nolan, we're going to get rid of D.J. LeMay, who, oh, by the way, has won a couple of batting championships for the New York Yankees. I mean, they never went out and addressed the pitching. They thought they could develop pitching within their own organization, and either they were either a disappointment or they got hurt. And they really didn't know what the next step should be. And now they talk about, well, we want to keep Trevor Story. Well, I don't know if Trevor Story wants to stay there when he's seen the best player on the team get moved because they couldn't address his concerns. So they, they're one of those teams that's just kind of circling the field and, and just not sure when to put the landing gear down. Claims, we talk a lot about the work ethic of people like Arenado and Wayno and uh, Yadi or Molina. Yadi, yeah. Do, do you think that there's – a a real intrinsic value though. We, we say, well, that trickles down and it causes other players to see that and work harder. And, and we've been around players, really good players that have kind of gone through the motions too and been great players. Does that hard work that we get from those guys, is there real win and loss value in that? You know, I think there is. Um, and I'll give you an even better example or an equal example for a team that, that, uh, that we don't follow a lot. I remember when the Cincinnati Reds were like 161 games out of first place. It was late in the year. The team wasn't very good. And we had rain that day, that afternoon. And, I mean, it poured. So there was going to be no BP, no infield. They were just hoping that the field would dry. And outcome from the Cincinnati clubhouse was Brandon uh, Phillips with two or maybe three buckets of balls that he had a guy hit to him in different areas on the infield. And he just kept taking balls and taking balls and taking balls. And I'm saying to myself, this guy has no reason to be out here, okay? He has no reason to be out here. That their team isn't going anywhere. It's the last week or two of the season. You know, he could stay inside and stay dry and play a quick to do. But he thought it was important. So the next day I went and talked to him about it, and I said, hey, as a fan, I appreciate your effort. 
But secondly, you tell me why you thought it was important to be out there. He said, because I hope one of these young guys sees what it takes for me or anyone to stay in this game is not sitting on your ass all day before a game, but going out and getting some work done to make sure you're going to be better than the guy you're playing against. And, and, it, and, it's, and you know, he said if one of these guys sees that, maybe it adds on to his career. And if he's able to do that, then, you know, that's the, the mission is accomplished. And, and I do think that when you have players who have the results that do this on a regular basis and Arnado's out there every day, well before anybody else gets to the ballpark, uh, you saw Ozzy do the same thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Yachty is a guy, that's, he, you know, about in spring training, he works out at a gym before he comes to the ballpark in the morning. <laughs> I mean, that's the kind of work he puts in. And so when you see those guys do it, and other guys start to see it, and they realize, well, wow, maybe maybe that's another reason why he's great. So I, I think it works uh, if you have smart players. Now, every team doesn't have smart players, but I, I think it's always something to lead by example in that manner. I'm trying to figure out a way that the St. Louis Blues beat Colorado or Vegas in a first-round series. Steal one early. Pray that your goaltender doesn't give up the uh, the nightly bad goal. We've had a few of those over the years. Of, yeah, I mean, geez. And this year, just it's so. You know, I mean, the goals that Bennington has given up. There's one every night that you just say, "I know that's one he wish he could have back." Uh, and you have to get your top top six four, which and I don't know who they are at this point. I, I know O'Reilly's out there. But if you get those top six, even just living up to expectation, then you have a chance. And the ability for the Blues to play better on the road than they have at home this year, I think is a real plus because you're going to have to beat a good team on the road anyway. So, And you're going to face a very good team in the first round. And, and I'll say this. If they can beat their first-round opponent, they can get to the finals. I think they can be that good because wow. that tells me that the goalie – has shown up, and some other people are contributing. I, I think we put way too much talk on third and fourth line players on this on this team. I mean, we're worried about and and granted, he's a good player, but if the Blues are relying on Sammy Blay, the uh, the Sammy Blaze of the world, to win, then we have missed a bigger boat because there are other guys that they are really counting on to step up. Hey, if you get something out of the Blaze and the uh, the kid Joshua that, who played really well last night and players of that nature, then yeah, that makes you a more complete team. But it starts at the top with guys that you have counted on, you paid well, and you've given them prime ice time to be able to produce. And if they don't, then they'll be able to sit at home and watch the playoffs on TV. Finally, Claves, the people that are hitting the drive 210, 221 to get it to 240, 250, need to go to ClavesOnline.com and watch Jay Jr.'s piece with Dr. Mike Murphy. Murph is one of the greats in the business, and, and it's amazing the way he explains things. You realize it, it's not all about trying to look like Bryson DeChambeau. You know, if you do some things with your own body, you'll be amazed at what, what distance you can get. It's a great piece uh, with Murph, who's been around forever. They don't make him any smarter than him, and the best person to interview him was Jay Randolph, so we'll have that up. Uh, Kevin Weeks is going to join us a little later in the week as we start to shape up the playoffs in the NHL. And uh, we're going to probably run down our Army fam this week oh, to get nice. his thoughts on things. So it's going to be fun toward the end of the week. So I just suggest that people uh, 
just tune in, and you just never know what you're going to see on ClavesOnline.com. And follow ClavesOnline on Twitter as well. Always good to talk to you, sir. Thanks so much for the time. We do appreciate it, and we'll talk to you next week. All right, you guys have a great week. Stay safe. You too, Klabes. That is the great Mike Claiborne here on Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Next up, as we roll on, we're going to talk to Jeff Levering, voice of the Brewers with Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. in St. Louis. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler with Michelle Smallman. I'm Randy Carricker. And the Cardinals open a three-game series with the Brewers tonight in Milwaukee. Jeff Levering is the voice of the Brewers and joins us now on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line on 101 ESPN. Jeff, great to have you with us. How are you doing? Hey, I'm doing fine, thanks. Thanks for having me on, guys. And it's it's American Family Ballpark right now rather than Miller Park, correct? Yes, American Family Field. I've, Field. I've had that ingrained in my brain here for the last couple of months, making sure I don't mess it up. American Family Field. That's going to be hard for us to accept because it's always been Miller Park to us, you know? Um, yeah, no, I hear you. I hear you. Well, Jeff, we want to start with the former St. Louis Cardinal, Colton Wong. How impactful has Colton Wong been as an acquisition for the Brewers? Um, I don't think you could really put it into words what he's done in terms of his defensive prowess, and everybody in St. Louis knows how good he is defensively. Uh, but he's he's changed the Brewers organization um, in, in terms of a second-base position. They haven't had somebody play second base at that level of defensive prowess in a really, really, really long time. you got to go back to Jim Gantner probably, and Colton Wong is leaps and bounds better than Jim Gantner is. Um, and then since he came back from the injured list, of course, he, he made his return to St. Louis, which was just a great moment, and facing Adam Wainwright and getting emotional on that home opener of the Cardinals. Um, and then he, he, he uh, aggravated his oblique that day, and, and he was gone for 10 days. But since he's come back, he's had three hits and four games, and he's, he's hitting the heck out of the baseball and getting on base a lot. And defensively, he's been, he's been a gem. Um, he, he's just a great, great guy, as everybody knows in St. Louis. And everybody in Milwaukee is happy to have him here. Hey, Jeff, I, I look at the Brewers, and I see that Corbin Burns goes on the IL for a short time. He'll be back this week. I see the struggles of the yep. offense, and I know the bullpen is great, and the, the pitching, the starting rotation has been at least representative. But I'm wondering how Craig Council does it. He's doing a great job of getting the most out of this group in the early season, isn't he? Yeah, he really is. It's, it's really incredible with the injuries that the Brewers have sustained uh, to the core of their guys, too. Christian Yelich and Colton Wong for a little bit of time and Lorenzo Cain and Corbin Burns. Um, he's just been piecing this thing together with what essentially is a spring training lineup on most days. And some days you'd even get fined for running that kind of lineup out there if you were on the road, <laughs> but he's made it, he's made it work. And that, it really is incredible what he's been able to do. The guys that have been coming off the bench and have been starters at this point. And Keston here is back in the minor leagues because he was not very effective. Um, so you're getting production from from enough people. Travis Shaw's had a nice start to the season. He's he's among the top five in RBIs in the National League. Um, nobody could have expected that as a non-roster invite to spring training this year. So they, they've been getting contributions, and Travis Shaw said it in the last homestand. Listen, this, this team, it's really struggling right now, but they find a way to score just enough runs to get jo- get the job done and get wins. And, and the pitching has been sensational. And, 
um, starting and relieving. They're doing just enough, and they're, and they're hanging in there with St. Louis, who's, who's red hot right now. Jeff, what can you tell us about Christian Yelich and his back issues? That has to be so concerning for Brewers fans. Yeah, it really is because they don't have any answers. That's, that's the scary thing is that he had some back soreness and then he goes back and, and has an MRI and the MRI said, no, you're clean. Everything is fine. So they activated from the injured list. He plays one game, goes two for four, has a stolen base, and then wakes up and he's not feeling good the next day. So Craig Council basically at this point says, well, do you want him out there on the field for three days a week and then you're a guy short on the bench? Or should we just sit him down, put him on the injured list, come up with a program so that he can come back and we can try and mitigate this thing? He's always had back issues going back to his time in the minor leagues in the Marlins organization. Um, so they're just trying to figure out a plan of best action right now. Um, he's making good progress, according to some sources, which is great. Um, so hopefully, after this little stint on the injured list, hopefully he can get himself back in there and, and be productive. And if that's for five out of seven days a week, that's great. Um, you just have to find a way to mitigate uh, the problem so that it doesn't become worse and he, he can recover a little bit faster. Jeff, the St. Louis and Devin Williams allowed runs in three of his first four games this season, but he appears to have settled into what he was last year. Yeah, he really has, and he was he was very slow to get going this year. He only had four appearances in spring training and none before St. Patrick's Day. So even at the beginning of the season, he was still trying to get himself right. But his velocity has been there since day one. His command is starting to get better. The changeup finally looks like the changeup of old, starting to mix in the slider. Um, and, and you're starting to get those weapons at the back end of the bullpen. Josh Hader's been spectacular at the beginning of the season. He's only allowed one run. Um, and then Devin Williams in the eighth inning and J.P. Fireisen, who is a local kid, and he's been the story of the year for the Brewers' bullpen. And Brad Boxberger, who is a, a minor league invite to camp, has had a nice season too. Really shortens the game, and, and you're asking less for your starting pitching because you got those four studs at the back end of the bullpen. Have you ever seen a guy like Hader? He, he's unbelievable. Yeah, he really is. I mean, I'm jealous of the flow that he's got with the hair. Um, <laughs> just the product itself and, and how he's been able to maintain that over the years is incredible. Um, but, but he really is it, it, watching him and the violence with which he throws um, and how his arm has been able to sustain the Brewers have done a really good job. They got a lot of flack for it early uh, because of the Josh Hader rules. He'd come in and throw a couple of innings and he'd be down for three days and come back and uh, they've managed him well. And now that he's in that traditional one inning closers role, um, where he can go multiple days. We've seen him throw three straight days at, at points during the season this year. Um, and, and because of those one-inning stints, he's not going two innings anymore. He could go five outs if he really needed to, or four outs. But he's more of a one-inning guy right now. And because of that, he's, he's been stronger. He's got the slider to go along with his 97-mile-an-hour fastball. He sprinkles in some change-ups now to keep people honest. He's an actual pitcher now. He's not just a dude who throws 100 He's actually a pitcher. He, he's thinking when he's out there on the mound, and it's it's fun to watch. And I feel really bad for those hitters. And with that violent delivery, to just provide some context to what you're talking about, 236 innings in the majors, 404 strikeouts, and 87 walks. How he he doesn't yeah. walk more is beyond me, but it's incredible. And you talk about the hair. If we can have that situation where Hater is pitching to to Harrison Bader, the Hater to Bader <laughs> might have the two best wow. heads of hair in all of baseball. It's pretty close, and Corbin Burns is up there too. So it, you got some good flow going to the Brewers clubhouse. That Hater Bader matchup is is one that I always really enjoy. Um, I think there was a couple of maybe once 
year or two ago where they actually faced each other on the 4th of May. So it was like Vader Day with Vader and Hater. So, I mean, there was a lot going on on that day. Hey, Jeff, we're looking forward to this series. It should be a lot of fun, and this has become a really fun rivalry, hasn't it? The, the, I, I don't know how Brewers fans, because you've got the Cubs rivalry, but I know we look at the Brewers as the chief rival now in terms of threatening the Cardinals in the NL Central. Yeah, for sure. It's been a nice matchup over the last few years with these teams, and now that, that Goldschmidt and Arenado are with the Cardinals, and you know, I, with my ties to the St. Louis Cardinals and to Springfield, as I spent three years there, I mean, it's always fun for me to see St. Louis and everybody that's come through the Springfield organization and on through. So it's always great for me. I know the Brewers fans like seeing the Cardinals. They've ended the Brewers season a couple of times, 82 and 2011. So there's, there's, there's definitely some consternation between the Brewers fans and the Cardinals fans and the Cardinals organization. Um, but it's fun to beat them when they're up here in Milwaukee. I know that. Jeff, we always like hearing your voice. Thanks for the time. We do appreciate it and enjoy this series. You got it. Take it easy, guys. You too. Take care. Jeff Levering, he is the radio broadcaster for the Brewers on uh, Milwaukee's Brewer radio, radio Network. Hater versus Bader. It's a flow off. Who are you going with? I'm going with Harrison Bader. It's pretty good. Yeah. And by the way, it would be fun to have just a pitching pairing, even if it's for an inning, of Gant and Hader. Absolutely. Yeah. So a lot of great flow there. John Gant might, you know, he he might have the sneaky best hair in baseball right now. I don't even know if it's that, that sneaky. That's a beautiful head of hair. It really is. Remarkable. I wonder if these guys are using conditioner. Probably. A lot of guys don't use conditioner when they grow their hair out. And oh, that's really? a mistake. Yeah. Hmm, they should. They definitely should. One guy that we know does a great job with his hair, especially at his age, is Tony Larusa, who's getting some grief in Chicago, not because of his hair, but because of the fact that he's old enough and he has to do his hair. That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> What you got over there, Michelle? I am eating, Randy, some delicious, and I cannot emphasize delicious enough, Fritz's Original Frozen Custard. And I went with the brownie blender option here. Very good. How about you, Emily? I, too, have Fritz's. Oh, good. And mine is the alley-oop. alley-oop. And uh, I didn't even really, I just took one of the shortcake pieces off the top, oh. and it is that was delicious. I haven't even gotten to dig into it yet, but it looks really good. The alley-oop, strawberries, and cheesecake bites. Yeah. Thanks to our friends at Fritz's. Cheesecake. It yeah. was really good. Yeah. Thanks to our friends at Fritz's. Great frozen custard. Five yeah. locations in the St. Louis metro area. Thank you for dropping off this ice cream. Yeah, we do appreciate frozen custard. Frozen custard, yes. Fritz's excuse me. Custard. Michelle, <laughs> you sent me an interesting article from Rick Morrissey the other day of mm-hmm. the Chicago Sun-Times. I did, yes. And he's basically saying that because Tony Larusa is old, that he can't do the job. He writes, Larusa needed to start the season with synapses blazing and a youthful energy belying his age. He hasn't come close to that standard. I don't know if he can climb out of the hole that he has dug for himself. That hole would include being in first place in the American League Central Division and leading the American League by a significant margin in run differential with a plus 53. Second place is Boston at plus 33. So they're down on Tony Larusa. They say that he needs to dig out of a hole because he's old. 
they're in what? Where are they in the standings, Randy? They're in first place oh, in their in division. First place. Okay. So here's what I think Tony Larusa is dealing with. This is the battle that he is enduring, and he knew that it was going to happen all season. A lot of people did not want him to get that job because they didn't like him for whatever reason, and they thought that the game had passed him by, and they thought he was too old, especially with this White Sox team that has a lot of young and electric talent. They thought Tony Larusa was too set in his ways, he was an old baseball guy, and that it wouldn't be a good fit. So when Tony LaRussa comes out and he doesn't know a rule in Major League Baseball, that's confirmation of the bias that they already had. And I'm not suggesting this for just necessarily Rick Morrissey. This is a lot of people in Chicago that didn't want Tony LaRussa to have this job, and so they're looking for, for confirmation bias. And... I think that a lot of people there, regardless of what happened, they weren't going to change their opinion on him or their opinion on the hire. And I think it's him more than it is the fact that he's 76, because I can guarantee you, guarantee you that if the Chicago Bulls would hire 72 year old Greg Popovich as their head coach, Bulls people, Chicagoans would be falling all over themselves to see the Bulls play under Greg Popovich. But he's in his 70s, Randy. You wouldn't think that he could do well. I've made this mistake before, too. Ageism. I made it when Dick Vermeil got hired as the Rams coach. And he had been out for 14 years. And Tony's been out for 10. And the first time you hear Dick Vermeil speak at the age of 61, you say, okay, he's he's still got that youthful exuberance. And we, we thought that the game had passed him by for a couple of years. He goes on and wins the Super Bowl. Tony Larusa knows baseball. Now, he... The, the rule that he didn't know is a rarely utilized National League rule because you don't have pitchers running the bases in the American League. I, I will give him a pass on that. I didn't know that rule. I don't think most people knew that rule. And his team did get two hits that day and lost one to nothing. So it, that kind of thing is going to happen. He did say that he kept Giolito in too long. Giolito admitted that he was out of gas and Tony kept him in, in a game too long. But I do think that it is reasonable for people in Chicago, White Sox fans, I, th- I think it's more reasonable, actually, to look at the end result, to look at what's happening on the field rather than saying, well, we've got a 76-year-old in the dugout and there's no way this can work, which is essentially what Rick Morrissey's column in the Sun-Times said is to, to have to dig out of a hole, a first-place hole, where you're dramatically leading the league in run differential and, by the way, lost one of your number one sluggers before the season started and another yep. one a couple of weeks ago, and you've had issues with the health of your starting rotation. So that's the hole that you need to dig out of. I'll take that. Also, I think that the narrative is that Tony La Russa is struggling. And yes, should he have known that rule? Sure. Should people on his coaching staff have known the rule? Sure. Is that a bad look? Absolutely. However, it's not as if he's going out there every night and there's an issue. We're we're isolating a couple things that I think a lot of managers have dealt with. And you're condemning Tony La Russa. In, in early May, mind you, we're not we're not at the all-star break. We're in early May. And while we do have a good sample size about what teams are going to be, it just seems like a lot of people in Chicago never wanted to give him a chance. No, and that's a real problem is you have to, in my opinion, give people an opportunity because it's the first week of the season. There you go, Tony. And yeah. don't you think, too, him not knowing the rule, him being honest about that is very Tony LaRussa. Yeah, it is. 
And I don't know if people necessarily know his demeanor or his personality or know what to expect out of him, but he's not going to be warm and fuzzy. He's not going to be trying to charm the Chicago media. He's out there to win and to do it in one year. This is what he's there to do. I don't think he necessarily should care what they have to say. He should just focus on his players and focus on the results. He'll tell you at 1030 how he feels. (laughs) Exactly. Morrissey also complains that Tony's voice is too thin, that he seems like he's out of it, even though, again, the, the team is succeeding. But he says he's got a read thin his, voice. His so, voice? Come on. So he, he's taking that shot. And then he winds up his piece by saying, we'll know soon enough if his problems are passing or here to stay. Again, problem being in first place, having the best run differential in the league. Too much is at stake. The Sox are a talented team with aspirations of a big postseason push. A manager shouldn't be allowed to get in the way of that. That's not perception, it's reality. So he's saying that Tony Larusa is in the way of what? Of being in first place? I don't think so. Of having the best run differential in the league? I don't think so. Of overcoming injuries? I don't think so. What's he getting in the way of? He didn't know the rule, Randy. Hey, they were going to lose that. Well, I won't say they were going to lose that game. I will. I'll give him a pass on knowing that rule. I'm betting that Rick Morrissey didn't know that rule. I'm betting. But the difference is, is that everybody else didn't have to answer those questions in, a, in an immediate press conference after yeah. the game. I, I wondered if Tony would be able to handle the physical, physical rigors yeah. of tough. managing at the major league level with all the travel at the age of 76. I will not for a moment question his baseball knowledge, his baseball acumen, his managerial ability. That is beyond question in my mind. Obviously not in a lot of people's minds in Chicago. But I hope Tony La Russa just shows him. I, ho- I hope that Tony La Russa gets the most out of his team, which he does on a pretty regular basis, and wins with the White Sox. I don't know why... I don't complain about being in first place. I never complain about being in first place. I don't know why people do it. It seems like something you shouldn't complain about, but if you're trying to make the point that Tony La Russa was a bad hire, you're going to look for any mistake possible. Mm-hmm. Any times right. he slips up even slightly, it won't matter that the team is in first place. It won't matter what injuries they sub- they've sustained. You're going to just put that in the Tony La Russa should not have been hired file. As long as it fits your narrative, then you utilize it, right? Yes, and of course, we are defending Tony La Russa, but we're defending him because we know what a good manager he right. is. We know what an intelligent baseball person he is. Is he in his 70s? Yes. Has he been out of the game? In the in the dugout, yes, but he's been in the game this entire time. Yeah. And I'm just not going to question his capabilities. And w- should he have known the rule? Again, yes, he'll be the first to tell you that. But I don't think that in any way he's not capable of doing the job that he currently has. Brandon Hyde is the manager of the Orioles, early 40s last place. A.J. Hinch is the manager of the Tigers, early 40s. Granted, he's won a World Series, but he's in last place. Uh, Davey Martinez, young manager. He's in last place. Uh, You've got young managers all over the place that are in last place or fourth place in their division. So why not pick on them? Pick on David Ross. What's what's he got going for him? His team's in fourth place. They're 17 and 17. If you're you're in Chicago, why not pick on David Ross? Because isn't he beloved there? Okay, that's good enough reason. Good enough reason. But but this is the whole point, that the Cubs could be struggling, but 
if you like David Ross, if you had affection for him in some way, you're going to give him more of a, a justification. You're going to give him more of a pass. If Tony LaRusso was a guy that you didn't want to see manage the White Sox, you're not going to give him those passes. So, it's all confirmation bias. Exactly. It all comes down to what your narrative is going in. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up, you're killing me, Smalls. I'm 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> All right, it is time for... You're killing me, Smalls. Before we get to some stories, Randy, we have a great text to the Air Comfort Service text line, 65780, and I'm a woman of the people, so when the people have a good question, I present it to you. Okay. The 314 wants to know, when do you start the playoff beard? Is it immediately after the last regular season game or the first day of the playoffs? It is the first day of the playoffs. You can shave up until the first day of the playoffs, but... The playoffs don't start until that day of the playoffs. So that's when you get it started. Okay, 314. Ryan, Robert, Ryan O'Reilly's always in playoff mode. That's right, he is. Yeah. And we appreciate that we out do. of him. You're killing me, Smalls. Remember during the parade, though, a lot of guys had shaved and they yeah. looked so different. So young. So young. Well, I was <laughs> like, wow, that's what you look like underneath that? Great. <laughs> Pat Maroon, he had the playoff beard going, and then yeah. when he shaved it for the parade, he looked so different. Come home, Don Hero, baby! Is that the, one of the best lines you've ever heard? It is. So perfect. All right. Well, after a six-year hiatus, Tim Tebow coming back to the NFL. That's right. You heard it here. The Jaguars and Urban Meyer plan to sign Tebow to a one-year deal. He's going to play tight end for the Jaguars. He's 33. Recently, he worked out for the Jags and his old buddy, Urban Meyer. And they decided to take a flyer on him, Randy. He is in camp in place of a guy who wouldn't make their team anyway. And he's buddies with Urban Meyer. Urban Meyer knows what he's capable of from a competitive standpoint. Take your shot. He's probably not going to make the team, but it's it's a fun story for training camp. You know, the Rams always used to bring along a Mizzou guy, and sometimes they actually worked out. Tim Barnes, the center, and Denario Alexander. But TJ Moe was in camp with the Rams. They, they always had a local guy or a Mizzou guy in camp. And if Jacksonville brings a Florida guy to camp every year, so be it. But they don't need a gimmick. They have Trevor Lawrence. They don't need to bring a Florida guy to Jacksonville. I think that he will make the team. And I think that Urban Meyer is probably leaning on his experience with Tebow at Florida and what a great athlete he is. And also there's a lot of talk about Tim Tebow maybe being a mentor to Trevor Lawrence. I don't like that idea at all. Why? Because you think Trevor Lawrence is going to be much better than Tim Tebow was as an I NFL do. quarterback? <laughs> yeah. And I don't think, I, I would guess that Tebow and Lawrence probably have different life experiences and approaches. And Tebow's a great guy, but you don't want him mentoring Lawrence as a quarterback. And if you're going to have him, I, I think Trevor Lawrence is fine. Let me put it that way. Mm-hmm. I, I think that he can be the face of that franchise without mentoring from another player. Yeah, he seems to carry himself very yeah. well. And he has been in the spotlight at Clemson this entire time. I don't think that, I mean, anytime you go into a new job and especially a job with a lot of pressure and expectations, there's an adjustment mm-hmm. period. But he's used to being the number one guy. He's used to having the pressure and expectations of winning a national championship. And I think that every person in the Jaguars organization is going to make sure that he feels welcome and accommodated yeah. and 
provide him with whatever he needs. I, I don't know if Tim Tebow as a mentor is something he needs either. I do think the one advantage you can draw from this, and we don't know what the media availability for the team is going to be. You, you know they're going to protect Trevor Lawrence at all costs. But if you do want to have a situation where Lawrence isn't the total focal point, the reality of the situation is if, if Sports Center is going to show up at Jaguars training camp, it's going to be to see Tim Tebow, not to see Trevor Lawrence. See, I disagree. I think that Tebow will certainly be on Sports Center, but I think Sports Center was already heading down to Jacksonville to see Trevor Lawrence, whether Tim Tebow was there or not. Do you remember, I don't know if you were producing, one year we had, when Tebow was with New England, I think, we had Andrew Siciliano on the show, NFL Network. It was at Rams training camp, so this mm-hmm. was five years ago. And he said that we could go do, and this was when Peyton Manning was, I think it was right before his last year. He said, we could go do the Broncos and Peyton Manning and the Steelers and Roethlisberger and our ratings would be flat. We would do Tebow and our ratings would go through the roof Mm -hmm. because Tebow has that effect on people. People watch to see Tim Tebow. Remember the LeVar Ball stretch? Yeah. People would be so incensed that LeVar Ball was constantly on ESPN and the ratings mm-hmm. were up when he was on because people would hate watching. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and if you're a media outlet, you've got to follow the ratings. And eventually, obviously, it it died down for both TiVo and LeVar Ball. But sometimes people, for one reason or another, they capture the attention of the public. Hey, there's people, if you go on social media, there's people that still think that Tim Tebow can play quarterback in the NFL. They're people that are wow. blind followers of Tim Tebow. So they're smarter than all of these NFL personnel people. All wow. 32 teams. Wow, interesting. Okay, good to know. You're killing me, Smalls. Well, speaking of media frenzy, Randy, I saved this for you. J-Lo and Ben Affleck. Oh, no. I know you were holding a flame for J-Lo and A-Rod to get back together. Remember I want her to what? stay in sports. I told you that it was not going to happen, that Benefit 2.0 was on. Not only did he accompany J-Lo's mom to a recent concert, but J-Lo and Ben Affleck were spotted spending time together near a resort in Big Sky, Montana, where Ben Affleck has a home. They were driving in a car together, picture surfaced. And according to sources close to Jennifer, they have a strong connection. It's been quick and intense, but she is happy. This is, let me see if I can put this in sports terms, okay? Okay, I'm ready. This is Dick Vermeil coming back to the NFL to coach. This is unfinished business on J-Lo's part. She was, she wanted to marry the guy. They yep. called off the, the wedding, what, a month before, a couple weeks before. There was too much me- media circus surrounding so, them. J-Lo going to Ben is akin to DV joining the Rams in 1997. This is unfinished business on her part. On both parts, I think. Well, he got married, had kids. And so all did that. she. Yeah, but she, okay. she married Mark so Anthony and had parts. kids. Okay, she was so engaged yeah. to A-Rod. I think they both, it, it was too much pressure. They both walked away, but they always held a flame for each other. He moment. always was able to solve the pressure thing, though, by drinking. Randy. I'm just saying. Do you know what it's more like to me is Albert Pujols and the Cardinals. Both walked away. Both have had some modicum of success and had been happy in their other places. And now the the windows of opportunity have aligned. And will they come back together? Will they, all these years later, be able to find that spark again? Both are in different places. They are. And J-Lo, the Cardinals are certainly J-Lo because she looks amazing. And the Cardinals are still kicking. Yeah. 
So I'm intrigued. I'm not happy about it because I always enjoyed her seeing show, seeing her show up on Sunday Night Baseball. That's not going to happen anymore. But I guess I'm I'm okay for her. Feel bad for uh, Jennifer Garner though. She seems like a sweetheart. Why? She's I think with someone else. She's she's fine. got his three kids. But don't feel sorry for her. I think that they're co-parenting beautifully. Oh, yeah, lovely. He's out in Montana. Great co-parenting. <laughs> Cavorting with J-Lo. Hey, the rekindling of romance. And you know what? I said this to you. Did you really think that J-Lo was going to let a reality star dominate the headlines of her breakup? No, no, no. This is J-Lo, okay? No, this no, is not she, going to happen. Just like Ben's back tat, Randy, she rises like a phoenix out of the ashes. She knows how to find the headlines, that's for sure. <laughs> You're killing me, Smalls. Well, speaking of headlines, Russell Westbrook, he's officially surpassed Oscar Robertson in the NBA record books in the fourth quarter of Washington's game last night with Atlanta Hawks. He recorded his 10th rebound of the night. He finished um, with 28 points, 21 assists, and 13 rebounds. That gave him his 182nd career triple-double. He passed Big O, that record of 181. I can't figure out why Russell Westbrook putting up all those numbers, and those are sharing numbers too. He's passing the ball. Why has he not been able to win a championship? He played with Harden, maybe the, well, two of the five best when he arrived on the scene there, two of the five best players in the league. Played with an Oklahoma City team that was great with, uh, for a while, uh, Durant, and those guys should have been great. And obviously it was he, Durant, and Harden for a while with Harden as the sixth man. I don't know why he's never won. He's great, man. He's he's fun to watch. He does everything right on the floor. I, I can't figure out why he's never won. Same thing for Chris Paul. Yeah, right. When you're going against the Warriors or you're going against LeBron in Miami or LeBron in AD, it's hard. Yeah, it is. And... Obviously, this guy has, he's run into some tough teams, but he's really good. He's a Hall of Famer. I mean, hes this is stuff that nobody's ever seen before. He's eclipsing one of the all-time incredible records in sports in Oscar Robertson. It's one of the most amazing records in all of sports, and he deserves credit for it. It's too bad that he's not with a good team. And maybe he's just not, maybe he doesn't play for coaches. I don't know. I think it's hard to play with him. But you're getting passes. He's, he used to be a black hole. It used to be that when he got the ball, he shot it. But he shares the ball now. He and Beal, well, Beal's going to lead the league in scoring at the end of the season. Yeah, that's right. So, And it seems like they get along well. Yeah, I, I just can't figure it out. But I, I congratulate him. He's great. Yes, congratulations, yeah. Russell Westbrook. There you go. Thanks, Michelle. You got it, Randy. Coming up next, we're going to cross things over with Dan McLaughlin. The Dan McLaughlin Show with BK is coming your way on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. The Dan McLaughlin Show featuring the one and only Brandon Kylie coming up at the top of the hour here on 101 ESPN. Danny Mack is here in studio with us. Good morning. How are you hey, doing? How are you guys doing? Good. I just saw that Jordan Zimmerman retired. Oh, did he really? Wow. Yeah. 13 years and uh, had uh, some really good years with Washington. Then he was majestically overpaid by Detroit 
And uh, he had been with the Brewers most recently, and he announced his retirement from baseball this morning. Remember, he had the uh, he had the surgery that set him back, but prior to that, he was really good. I, I know the Cardinals, well, a lot of teams had interest in him coming out of the draft, and the worry was about kind of the injury history that he had been through. But when he was healthy, he was awfully good, yeah. really good. 95 and 91 for his career with a 4.07, but that first half of the career with Washington was really good. So yeah. the Brewers will have another pitcher, I would presume, for tonight's game. And we were just talking to Jeff Levering, your friend from the Brewers broadcast crew. He's great. He's terrific. And that back end of the bullpen is as good as it ever has been. With Got to get there. Yep. Right. That's the, the issue that they've run into. Oh, I'll tell you what. Their pitching, doing some of the numbers, is as good as anybody's yeah. right now in baseball. Um they can't hit. Not at all. They're yeah. they're not hitting, and there's got to be, I would ins- assume, some internal strife and concern over the back of Christian Yelich, and Keston Hira's been sent down to the minor leagues from the last time we saw him. Remember how good he was the previous two years, then he had the throwing issues at second base, so they're trying him at first base, and it, the only way he's going to stay here is because it's not for his defense, it's right. if he hits, and so now he's been sent uh, to the minor leagues, they just they got to figure out some offense, and the one thing that's kept them in these games is pitching. And you look at how they played the Dodgers, you look at how they played the Padres, and you say that team is there. It's just can they put it all together? So I'm really looking forward to this. I don't know if you guys like uh, off days. I was ready to when the Cardinals go 14 and three. Let's keep it going. I didn't want to see an off day yeah. yesterday. Right. I bet they probably did, but I didn't. I said the same thing about the guys as I wondered if they enjoyed having a day off. And Randy said, when you're winning 14 out of 17, you want to keep it rolling. I think so. I, I think if you're struggling, off days are good. You know, it's kind of like it's get away from the ballpark and get away from all the different things that you do. But, man, when you've won 13 out of 17 in baseball, that's a lot. You know, 13 and 4, you, you want to get yeah. to the ballpark and play. I would think, though, the one thing for this particular group of Cardinals is with that off day, Arenado had his mom in town, Yachty had his mom yeah. in town, mm-hmm. so they probably got to spend some unusual family time that you ordinarily don't get during the season. It was pretty cool seeing his mom. His mom came up into the booth, uh, the radio booth, and then Benji came over and said to our people, hey, can you shoot our mom on the, on the game? You know, she's going to be so... I didn't even know she was in town until that point, and she was so proud. I mean, you mm-hmm. just see yeah. typical mom, right? I mean, you get proud. I texted with Yachty afterwards. He was like, "Thanks a lot for doing that." I was like, "Yeah, we can. We could probably pull that one off." Yeah, I would think no so. big deal. Did, did you hear what he said after? Somebody said, "Is there anything your mom doesn't like about you when you're playing?" And he said, "She doesn't like when I strike out, and she hates when we lose." <laughs> Is that right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think it's really cool what they've done with Polo and Benji and all those players that do come from whether it be the Dominican or Gallegos case, Mexico or whatever, and the games are done in Spanish so their family can can follow them, mm-hmm. and it's it's a neat thing. It's really cool. I wish I could speak Spanish so that I could understand what Me they too. were saying. I, Hola. I used to know <laughs> Spanish. I was actually, if you said it very slowly, really? I could pick up little words and understand some of the stuff. I can't speak it. I could just understand a little bit of it. But baseball, I guess, is the like the language of love. It's universal, baby. Everybody can speak baseball. Everybody can speak baseball. Now, we may not all agree with how we speak baseball. Different dialects, yes. That's right.
but Michelle we all have baseball. We're just hammering on Rick Morrissey of the Chicago Sun Times, who hammered on Tony and said that Tony has to dig out of this hole, which includes being in first place and having a run differential that's 20 runs better than the next team in the American League. Talked to a friend of mine and said he's taking a ton of heat in Chicago. And it's not just because of the rule situation in extra innings the other day. And he came out and I give him credit for just coming out and saying, I didn't know the rule. My point would have been where's his bench coach on that mm-hmm. or others in the dugout and what I would think is either they didn't know the rule or Tony's got so much power and control that they're a little afraid to go to him and that that's not good and uh, I would doubt that that's the case because Tony assembled his own staff to where these guys you would think are comfortable with him and there's dialogue going back and forth the thing that I've heard more so than than that was just his handling of the pitching staff that mm-hmm. there's been a lot has changed in 10 years. Now, it's not like you're getting some guy off his sofa to come in and be in Major League Baseball. He has been around the game and been watching teams with Arizona and Boston and, and the Angels. So it's not like he's not up there in that box managing along with you. It's just now you're in the control of it. I, I just wonder if they're going to be able to hold up with their pitching if he's keeping guys in longer than maybe what people want or expect, especially in 2021 coming off of last year. But one of the things that he said to Dave Duncan is that he thinks he's thought about this a lot. He thinks there's things that other teams aren't doing right, and he thinks that he can do it better. So I wonder if that was part of it, is getting more out of his starting pitchers. I, I thought that too. You know, I understand that this is the trend. This is what we're all doing. And, you know, guys are out after the second time through a lineup. But maybe he's the one that's saying, I'm going to buck the trend. And I think Mm -hmm. that we have people that can get guys. Adam Wainwright's a perfect example of that. Mm -hmm. Look at what he's doing. Um, Now with uh, almost two complete games. And yet you have, you you let Waino do his thing. Now he's got a long track record and you do it. But with the younger guys, you don't. It's why not? Why not let some of these younger guys learn how to go deep into a game? And, and they maybe, want to. I mean, if Flaherty yeah, wants to. Then let's do it. Yep. And I, I think there's something to that. There, you don't necessarily have to go with the trend. Yeah, and by, it was Walt that told us that. Not oh, Dave yeah, Duncan, that's, remember? yeah, that's right. But don't you think a lot of people in Chicago weren't necessarily on board with the hire to Big begin time. with? And so uh, yes. him not knowing the rule and admitting it, it's just confirmation bias. It's just fuel to the fire. Exactly. You know, going into this thing, I think because of his personal stuff that happened before the season and the fact that he's 76 and they're saying, why are we doing this? And we're running this guy out of town that has already been run out of town by the Cubs, their previous manager, uh, and they're built to win, even with Robert Hurt and Eloy Jimenez. It's just like the cards were stacked against him, and it's his, now he's got to win, and he is doing it. He's in first place, but I'm with you, Michelle. I think more more people went into that deal and saying, this is crazy. Why are we doing this? And we're not going to give him the benefit of the doubt. And I made the analogy with Michelle, and you and I did this together, actually, how we jumped all over DV for being too old. Yes. And then he goes and wins the Super Bowl. <laughs> yeah. With an with a offense that reinvented the game. Right. That's right. And the, his thing was he was too rigid. He couldn't adapt to the and new he did. game. And at first he did. Remember right, yep. the practices, the, the length of that, and the guys were going crazy over it. But he he said, okay, I got to adapt. And he did. Yeah, he did. Yeah. And I have every reason to believe that Tony has and, and will continue to adapt and evolve. I Look, I, I'm a Tony guy. Mm-hmm. I, I just think the guy is fabulous. He's smart. He's a very bright guy. And I do think he will, as the as the months go on, and maybe as he notices certain changes by being in that dugout, not that he didn't notice them already, but now that when you're making those decisions, maybe he adapts in one way and maybe he bucks the trend in others. But 
there's always a smart reason behind why he does it, where you sit there and go, okay, I could see it didn't work out, but it made sense as to why he did it. I, I just, I think the guy obviously is terrific at what he's has done and will do this year. And by the way, that column was written on the day that the White Sox completed a sweep of the Royals. So, yeah. Well, it, to Michelle's point. It was already going to happen anyway. It's the narrative, yep. Yeah. What do we have coming up on the Danny Mac Show? Ryan Fagan of the Sporting News Love will be Ryan. our guest. Good yeah. guy. Yeah, he's always down at the ballpark uh, writing for a nationally-based uh, uh, outlet in um, the Sporting News, but based right here in St. Louis. So he's got an intimate knowledge of what's going on with the Cardinals. We'll be tuned in for your show. We'll be tuned in tonight for the Cards and the Brewers on Bally Sports Midwest. Looking forward to it. We'll Thank have you. the game today, tomorrow. And then it'll be a YouTube spectacular on Thursday. Much anticipated YouTube Much spectacular. Much anticipated YouTube spectacular. I may or may not be tuned in to the YouTube spectacular. Why not? If I can get my smart TV to work. My TV is smarter than I am. I don't like the YouTube games. No offense to the YouTubers. No offense to those that will bring uh, the game to us. The announcers, I'm sure, will be sensational. Not as I good just, as you, though. I appreciate that, no, Randy. Nowhere close. Well, the, you guys are the greatest. But I... Um, I just think you try to make the games as readily available and easily to find as you can. Agreed. So, have a great show. Thank you. A uh, great job today by our producer engineer Emily Butcher. Great Thank job. You. Thanks, Michelle. This was fun. It was Randy. Guess See- what tomorrow is? Hump day. Yes, it is <laughs> already. For all of us, we thank you for tuning in, texting in, and being a part of the show. Till tomorrow morning at 7. Have a great day, St. Louis. You've been listening to the Character and Smallman podcast, powered by I Promise. Hey, hon, what you doing with your fun? Do flowers have best friends? I don't know. Hey, look. Whoa. Some answers can only be found in nature. Discover the unsearchable. Visit discovertheforest.org to find a trail near you. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council.